Well, it's another podcast. Just called Picking It Out. Yeah, it's another podcast, y'all. Just called Picking It Out. Got the legendary WCW and TNA announcer Scott Hudson in the house. Yeah, and we're gonna be picking it out. Well, hey, y'all. Hope everybody had a, well, depending on when you're watching or listening to this, hope everybody had a Merry Christmas and um, appreciate y'all tuning in once again with us here. Y'all keep on coming back, so we appreciate it. I had Neil Pruitt on a few weeks ago, and I mentioned then that this is pretty much turning into a wrestling podcast, (laughs) and I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Anybody that knows me knows that. Um, we got a uh, a real special guest here with us today. Uh, guy you really don't you don't hear a lot about anymore in the wrestling world. Um, but man, what a critical part of especially of WCW was this guy, and uh, got a lot of man. Uh, probably one of the hardest working guys in the business. Not only did he work for WCW, but he was a probation officer and still is. And he did both at the same time, and I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that. I just learned that recently. But anyway, we're going to get into all of it. Uh, we got Scott Hudson with us. How you doing, man? Good, Andrew. I love that uh, that theme. That was very uh, Life by the Drop, Stevie Ray, uh, Robert Johnson, at the crossroads kind of kind of vibe. That was awesome. I like your taste. Got some good <laughs> taste in music. Well, that's yep. good stuff. People seem to like that thing, man. I don't know. Uh just a little silly thing, but where where are you at now? You in Georgia? In Georgia, yeah. Been my home. Born and raised. Wow. Still live out here on um on Lake Sinclair in central Georgia. Oh nice. Man, what's the weather like out there? Is it froze still? <laughs> Yes. I mean, oh, this is Georgia. We're not, uh, I mean, it, it gets below 40 and they close the schools like the old cliche. And, yeah. um, we had, oh boy, from like Thursday before Christmas, depending on, again, like you said, on when people are watching this from Thursday, which would have been the 22nd, maybe, um, up until the day after Christmas, we didn't get above 20 degrees, which is unheard of for Georgia. So it was uh, nice, though. You know, our pipes didn't freeze, but I think we were the only one out here on the lake that didn't have that problem. So it's 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 a nice balmy forty today, almost swimming weather. But man, I'm telling you, I'm in Northeast Alabama, and mm. they said this is the coldest Christmas since 1989. Um, it was four degrees two or three nights in a row. Four. 
four degrees. I checked my Good phone. Uh-huh. That's, I don't ever remember it. I was barely born, probably, when it was that cold. Uh, wow. I, so the other day after it hit like 34 or 35, I was like ready to run around naked in the yard, I felt like. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Insane. So this is this is also blues wrestling and a weather podcast. <laughs> hey, that's 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 a that's a niche that's got to be like that big. I, I, hey man, I'll tell you, I don't know why, but uh, you say that it's funny because I've always been interested in the weather. I'm actually a certified, uh, what do you call it? Uh, not chaser, but spot storm spotter. Really? Yeah, uh, I'm certified storm, which anybody can be. I mean, it's really easy to get certified. But I've always had interest in the weather. I remember used to, uh, when I was a kid, our local uh, Huntsville, Alabama TV station, my granddaddy, when I was staying with him, he watched the weather. It's like he's watching the news at 10, and about 10, 12, or 10, 15, you know, the weather comes on. Everybody has to shut up because you got to <laughs> hear the weather, you know, just to make sure it's not going to rain more than it did yesterday or something. But I don't know. I've always had a connection to it. I don't know. You know, I've got uh, I've got family that are you know how some some people will put put their television on on cable news mm-hmm. or they'll put it on um, MTV back you know back in the day cl- the cliche of when they used to play videos. Um, but I've got family that will do that with the Weather Channel that that's their background. Wow! And it's and when I've been around them, I had no idea. But that's an interesting as hell channel. Maybe I'm old. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Maybe I'm old. I am old. But maybe that's my age betraying me. But that's it's not just, hey, it's, you know, snowing in Syracuse. It, that's one thing. But it's lots of history and, you know, the 12 most deadly tornadoes and yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. It's very interesting. Yeah, it really is. They 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 go in depth on those uh, historic, you know, tornadoes out in Oklahoma and stuff like that. I really like yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Um. Well, how was it? How has it changed growing up, you know, I mean, since you grew up in uh, that part of Georgia? Yeah. Well, you know, I grew, I grew up in Thomaston, which is over there, not far from the Alabama border in uh, West Central Georgia. And um, you're up there and down to where I was in Thomaston and across that swath of northern Alabama, northern Georgia, it was kind of like a tornado alley that whenever the weather went sideways – we would turn on, you know, channel two out of Atlanta uh, and they would do the best job with the weather and we would just be waiting, you know, for the tornado warning. I would, I would like, Oh, come on, come on, come on. I don't want to watch. I want a warning. I want to know there's a real one out there and <laughs> I don't want it to come over my house. Yeah. But you know, I was like, Oh, those poor people over in you know, Talapusa. But you know, I, that, that was, that was fun. And it's, it's kind of the same way still. We, we get, we get uh, rough weather, and in, I, you guys kind of get this up in Alabama, but it's it's a lot more us. Obviously, it's a lot more Florida and Louisiana, but we get hurricanes. Oh, and those yeah. hurricanes will come up and like go between Cuba and 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 the pan and Florida, and then come up and make landfall on the Panhandle. They'll come like right over the Lake Country in Central Georgia, where I am now. And I mean, it will be it's not a full blown hurricane because it'll dissipate a good bit, but it's it's rough. For, you know, for for a day, a day and a half, it's like being in. Well, it's like being in the the end times of a hurricane, and it, yeah. it can it can be a lot of fun out here. Yeah, usually when when 
everybody's getting the hurricanes, we get tornadoes from that usually. Right. Right. Uh, I've never right. actually experienced a hurricane, but I've I've heard they're heard they're I know quite a few people that have, and I've heard they're kind of scary. Uh, there's really you can't do anything if you don't do anything before it gets there. That's correct. That's true. And again, what we're seeing is nothing compared to what the people down at like Mexico Beach and Port St. Joe and Panama oh, yeah. City and Mobile and all those guys see. Right. But it's still pretty. It, and I can only imagine what it's like down there when they when they hit. But with because it's pretty bad up here and we're in the mid state. Yeah. Well, did you like growing up? You know where you grew up. Was it uh, was it safe and stuff back then? Like you know, oh, we sure. didn't lock our doors. No, no, that was uh, again in Thomaston. For those that uh, that have ever heard of Thomaston, um, there's Thomaston proper, and then there's like the north side, which really doesn't. It's it's just the north side of Thomaston. It's not like a separate town or anything like that. But um, lived out on the on the outskirts of the north side of Thomaston and same thing, you know, went and played in the woods every day and didn't lock the doors and, you know, played with, you know, had the dog running up and down the road and did this, the same old stuff. It was, uh, it was small, small town, Georgia. Um, it was a lot of fun. That's a, that's a good town. Had a lot of, a lot of good memories from Thomaston. Did you grow up on the uh, Georgia championship wrestling days liking that? Can we take like two minutes and let me tell you this? Because I am so proud. Absolutely. I grew up in Thomaston until I was 10 years old and then moved. My my father uh, was transferred with his job down to South Georgia, down to Tifton. Oh, yeah, yeah. I played Tifton. Really? Yeah. Most people went through it. It's on the interstate heading to Florida. Yeah. Um, So Georgia Championship Wrestling. I discovered, I discovered, I, it, it discovered me in 1970 when it was still on um, WQXI channel 11 in Atlanta. And it was, uh, I think an 1130 or 11 o'clock on a Friday night was the time slot. And I watched that and just got hooked walking through the living room. You know, I think my, my grandfather, my, my father's father and my grandparents were visiting and they were up watching it. My grandfather, massive wrestling fan. They were watching it and I stumbled through, you know, long past my bedtime to go get, you know, a drink or whatever. And just was hooked immediately, 1970. Wow. So I watched Georgia championship on WQXI channel 11 in Atlanta. Then it moved over to WTCG uh, channel 17 in Atlanta. And then the great split between ABC Sports, it's ABC Sports, not the network ABC, but it was just called ABC Sports when Ray Gunkel passed in 1972 and his widow, Ann Gunkel, started All South Sports. And so, long story, but Ted Turner, who owned WTCG, gave Ann Gunkel another hour. She had from seven until eight. Georgia Championship had from six until seven on Saturday nights. That's where the two hours on Saturday nights for WCW came from. It used to be two different shows. So I got to see Georgia Championship, and then I got to see All South Sports, um, which, you know, that was for a couple of years. 
moved to Tifton. Still, so we still got Channel 17, still got those shows. Then get this. Also, Georgia Championship would do, nobody remembers this, would do a live show on WRBL Channel 3 out of Columbus every Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock. It was a live wrestling wow. show in an arena, and it was just for the Columbus market. Oh, wow. So they would go tape the the TCG show at the arena where we where we did it in WCW, that same room. And then they would drive to Columbus to do a live TV um, at 4 o'clock on WRBL and then drive to wherever the house show was that Saturday night, usually Marietta. There was also a Georgia Championship show that did the exact same thing, except it wasn't live, and it was on Channel 41 out of Macon. They even had like a Macon heavyweight champion. Uh-huh. You know, for Georgia Championship. So I got Georgia Championship, All South Sports, Georgia Championship from Columbus, Georgia Championship from Macon. Also got Mid Atlantic from a television station in Savannah that was on our cable system. So I got to see David Crockett and Bob Cottle and, you know, a young Ric Flair and a young Ricky Steamboat and a young Greg Valentine and Rufus R. Jones and all those guys from uh, the Mid Atlantic territory. Then I got Championship Wrestling from Florida from Channel 6. WCTV in Tallahassee. So I got Florida stuff. I also got Continental Gulf Coast from Channel wow. 4 in Dothan, Alabama. So I got, I grew up on all of that. Three different Georgia championships, all South, Mid Atlantic, Florida, uh, Gulf Coast or Continental or Southeast, whatever name it was going by at the time. So I got, it, it was heaven for a wrestling fan to, to, to be exposed to that much television. I've told Cornette that story before. And, um, you know, the first thing he said, of course, were the tapes. Like, I have no idea. I didn't have tapes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like 10 years old. Um, but every, every weekend it was, I mean, whatever that turns into one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight hours of wrestling every weekend. Wow. That was, that was awesome. And that's why you become a fan because, you know, you could follow, the guys territory to territory and you could see angles developing that worked in Florida. Then they would run the same angle in Georgia. Hey, that worked in Florida. Let's bring it to Georgia because most fans weren't following it that closely. They would, it was brand new to them. Yeah. And do the same thing with Alabama and, you know, with different talent. And sometimes the talent would, and their heels in one place, baby face in another place. And, feuding in Florida and tag teaming in Georgia. I just adored that stuff. That was such a, uh, it had to be such a time back then, you know, to grow up with the territories and those Mm -hmm. kind of days. Um, Did you, as a kid, did you ever get to go to any of the tapings or the, the, a match of any kind? Sure. Well, now TV, not really. You know, because TV was in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, Florida TV was in Tampa. That's that's a bit of a hike um, from South Georgia. But uh, the house shows would come around. Used to go to the Griffin Sports Barn, um, just north of Thomaston, between Thomaston and uh, and Atlanta. They would run there one Saturday a month. Uh, the guys from my church where I grew up, they were big fans, and I was dirt poor growing up. And you know, my folks couldn't, wouldn't take me. But the guys from the church, hey, Scott, we're going to the wrestling matches. I was like, I, you uh, know, good, let me know how it was. And I'll oh, come on. But they'd pay the, you know, 250 or whatever it is for me to get in and, and have a blast. Um, saw so many great 
old timers there, old timers <laughs> 28 years old then, but whatever. Yeah. But uh, we get down to the Tallahassee Sports Stadium, get to the Houston County Farm Center over in Dothan. When I'd go visit, you know, my my maternal family down in Cairo, Georgia, where we were really close to Dothan and Tallahassee. We'd pick one to go see when we were down there. And so, yeah, got to see a lot in Griffin, Tallahassee, and and in Dothan. And then every now and then make the trek over to Albany um, and, and see what uh, what they had going over there. It's just interesting to me because I've talked to so many people from, from this world, you know, uh, some I've met through music, you know, like Mick Foley, you know, him, he and I became friends through music, yeah. basically. Um, he's kind of the exception, I guess, but you know, so many like, uh, you know, buff, you know, Mark Bagwell and they didn't really grow up being a fan of pro wrestling yeah. and it's, uh, it's a whole thing that you don't really think about till you start kind of listening to them. Um, but for some reason, I feel like I've always been able to tell somebody's really passionate about something. Um, I, I don't know why, but authenticity don't really lie. And, you know, I've always been able to tell, you know, you were very passionate and you really enjoyed what you were doing and you were really good at it well, i think one of the, i think one of the most underrated uh voices and announcers you know that there is well thank you very uh, much thank you you know guys like you and you and tony shivani just natural just natural man and uh i'm very glad to hear that you grew up loving it you know just like i did when i was a kid you know, like if I got grounded in my teens when Nitro and Raw, you know, the Monday Night Wars, you were there for mm-hmm. all that. If I got grounded, the only thing that I gave a shit about was watching Monday Nitro. So she would, Mama would ground me from watching Nitro. Oh, <laughs> that, that was yeah. Mine. You get you get grounded by getting sent outside. <laughs> you can't stay home. Yeah, you're, you're grounded. Get out, <laughs> or just go to your room and can't turn the TV on at seven o'clock. Oh. You that know, hurts. Monday night. So, yeah, but I'm, I'm very, uh, uh, kind of warms my heart to hear you that you had a passion for it. You know, uh, when, um, sting yeah. made a, they made a movie of sting's life. Mm-hmm. I think it was called moment of truth. Yep. This was 20 something years ago. And, uh, I was in that, um, and I went to Nashville to film my parts of the movie and I, I, I knew sting a little, but you know he was such a an an icon to sure. coin a phrase. I, I didn't get to hang out with him in WCW. We didn't hang out with that echelon of guys. Flair, of course, being the exception. Um, but mostly, I was hanging out with the mid card guys and the superstars: Savage, Hogan, Sting. You know those guys. You know they they didn't have anything to do with a C team announcer, so that's fine. Nice enough, but again, I wasn't part of that circle, so I didn't know Sting that well. Still don't, for that matter. But um, when we were making the movie, they cast me as uh, as an announcer. You know, obviously stereotyping. And I was in one of the one of the one of the rooms, like the green room, and I was talking to somebody else, one of the local wrestlers that they had brought in just to take bumps for uh, background shots or whatever. And we were talking like you and I were just talking about the old school stuff and all that. 
And he looked at me and he just said, you know about all that? I said, well, yeah. You know, who doesn't? This was like 2004. I said, yeah, you know, who doesn't know about all that? And he goes, I never knew that about you. I always thought you were one of these, you know, you were just a, a, a dirt sheet guy that glommed on when Hogan and Vince started their run in the 80s. And that's how you got out. No, God, no. I hate, I hate that stuff. I want, I want like 60s and 70s old school stuff. And so then we hit it off. And during that whole filming, all we talked about was old school stuff. I don't think Sting was a, a big fan growing up, but he learned to become one yeah. because he loved the sport, obviously because he's still doing it at whatever, 64 or five years old, however, it still looks great doing it. Yeah. Jumping off. Yeah. No uh, way. And no so, way. Uh, well, you know, how did, uh, what, what, what kind of jobs did you have like as a, as a teenager and stuff before you got into wrestling? Uh, disc jockey. Oh, really? I was a uh, disc jockey down in, down in Tifton, um, for a, uh, we had two stations out of the, out of the one ownership building, uh, WWGS 1340 AM. And at the time, WCUP 100.3 FM, uh, the FM was a hundred thousand Watts in central wow. South Georgia. So That's a at, night, at night you could hear it from Jekyll Island to Albany. Yeah. Um, so that was great. And was that like a top and, 20? And at the, it, it, it changed, we changed formats um, from beautiful music. I don't know if you ever heard of that format. It's terrible. It was an automated station where you had these big reel to reel machines and a computer that, you know, my friend Tony Rowe and I would have to write the code for and program the computer to play oh, wow. you know, the automated format stuff. But the AM side was, you know, spinning records and playing cart machines and, and, you know, reading PSAs and, hosting yeah. the swap shop and whatever the hell. And yeah. so it was old school, old town radio. So I worked there from 81. I guess I did my last thing with them would have been like 1990. You know, by that time I had long since, be, you know, become um, in my real job and I was already, and I had started, had done wrestling already. So I just had to give it up. Um, but ended up um, going from being a disc jockey to being a, uh, uh, high school and college sports play-by-play announcer. I did basketball, football, baseball for the colleges and high schools down in South Georgia. And so that's where I learned of the skill, such as it is, of being able to call sports and keep the interest up and take the listener on the ride. And, you know, radio is so much different than television. As, as, as Tony, um, among the many millions of great pieces of advice, um, was something along the lines of you don't always have to talk, you know, the picture can tell the story. Um, well, there's no picture in radio. Yeah. So you've got to, you've got to talk otherwise it's dead air. Yeah. And um, so you, so that's a, that's a skill. And it was one of the toughest parts of doing wrestling was to stop talking, you know, Yeah. that what I'm seeing can tell the story, what the viewers are seeing can tell the story. And I don't need to say anything. Of course, now, you know, with, you know, with Michael Cole and people uh, like Michael in the WWE, whom I do not know, never met, 
um, they fill that void by talking about trending and talking about tweets and trying to upsell and get you to the shop zone and, you know, whatever. And instead of just shutting up and letting the picture tell the story, yeah, I understand yeah. that that's what he's told to do. And it's a, and the business has evolved and that's, that's fine. But yeah, that would have been difficult for me. You know, I haven't watched it um, with the exception of AEW. Um, yeah. Dustin Reynolds is a friend of ours and, he invited uh, before before all the shutdowns and COVID and all that. He invited right. us to a AEW taping, so I did go to that and I watched it a couple of times. Don't follow it; uh, it's just not the same. You know, it's too like he said; it's too fast paced. They're trying to sell too many things. Um, my ADD brain is already <laughs> bad enough, and it's like <laughs> y'all are making it worse with this damn stuff. <laughs> But, you know, I'm interested how you got into being a disc jockey. How you, you know, did you just go up there and apply or did you have a, really? That was it. This is, again, this is small town, South Georgia. Mm -hmm. Um, They needed disc jockeys. They were paying $3.35 an hour. I needed something to do. Okay. You ever been a disc jockey before? No. Great. Sit right here. We'll tell you what to do. And that was it. Um. Uh, every, everybody, and you may, you would probably agree with your background. Everybody should do radio or live television once in their life. And I don't mean like one time, you should do it for six months. Mm-hmm. It helps you with your extemporaneous speaking, with being able to communicate and, and tell stories. It also helps with your writing because you can't um and er and huh and all that through a broadcast, so you can't do it in writing either. Um, But just the umbrella skill set that you develop from doing radio and live television, you you can't get that anywhere else. And it's not even doing like pre-tapes, doing like audio books. That's a skill too, but you can stop down and, oh, I've pronounced the word wrong and, you know, start back over. But when it's live, it's out there forever, whether you screw it up or whether you're perfect. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, how did you get, you know, how did the uh, high school thing come out of the radio thing? Did you kind of feel like you had a, or did you enjoy using your voice and, and wanting oh, yeah. to kind of pursue that? Yeah, well, I, I played ball in, in high school and for legendary two weeks of college. So I, I knew better. Um, I knew better actually after the first day, but I stuck it out for two weeks. Um so when the general manager, you know, said they were going to start airing the high school football games in competition with the other AM radio station in Tifton, um, he said, you know, do you want to try this? I said, sure. Have you ever done it? Never thought about it. Okay, you're you're hired. And so I just <laughs> you're transitioned from being, uh, yeah, from spinning those records and to to doing that. And it, you know, it just, again, knowing the sport helped, you know, playing, oh, yeah. playing football and I never played basketball, geez, but played baseball and, and football in high school. Um, so knowing the sport and liking the history of the professional um, sports and the and college football, I'm huge fan. So I knew what I was seeing Yeah, that helped, you know, instead of, you know, like the old Andy Griffith, uh, 
comedy bit of what it was was football. What it was was football. Yeah. Yeah. I highly <laughs> I recommend that. that to anybody else. Yes. That's what I think they were expecting. And I ended up, and eh, he's not too bad. Uh, he can, he can do next week's game. Absolutely. I recommend it too. That's one of the best things ever that a lot of people probably don't even know about, you know, right. Uh, depending on your age, I guess. Yeah. Well, he's, you know, he, he did so much more stuff. Yeah. And that sure. Was so early on that nobody yeah. remembers, but that's, uh, if you can find the Andy Griffith, what it was, was football. That's, that's, that's gold. Yeah. Really is. Um, now was you going to, where did you, where did you go to college? Did you say? College uh, was at Valdosta state. Okay. In South Georgia. And did you, go, did you go like while you were doing the play by play for the high school? Yes. Um, were you going to further education for your job you have now that you've. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was studying uh, criminal law and I knew as much, and I'll, I'll tell you this straightway and I'll say this, you can use this blurb and put it out all over the internet if you want. If there was money to be made in radio, I would go back doing it today. It's we're recording this. It's one thirty. I would start at two o'clock doing radio again. It was the most fun I ever had at a real job. But again, there's there's in in twenty twenty three. There's no future in radio. Um, you just do it for fun. And you know, when I retire, maybe I will do it for fun again. But um, no, that was that was something I did because I had a passion for it and I loved it. And I knew that it was going to help me in my other uh, career, but I knew that it wasn't going to be something I was going to do for a, for a career. So I was studying something completely different in college. Yeah. Where did uh, you get the interest to go into the criminal justice field or, or how did you, you know, I honestly don't remember. I know that when I was in, I was in junior college before I went to Valdosta state, I was at junior college there in Tifton at Abraham Baldwin college. And my advisor, um, well, not my advisor, a professor there that had, I was in one of his classes was also a guitar player and a church, uh, youth ensemble that I was a singer in, believe it or not. And great guy. And I had my designs on wanting to be a doctor. So I had taken every medical, you name it. I mm. was, I'm going to be a doctor. So I studied everything. I stayed up nights studying and and did, did well, did really well in the academic portion of it. And, and then I went to observe surgery for the first time. Um, at the hospital in Tifton and Tifton has a regional medical center. It's not like a little tiny, you know, 10 bed hospital. It's this as big as a college. It's a, and they do a great job. And so I went to observe that and that was all it took. <laughs> I went back <laughs> and said, I'm just not cut out for this. Is there any room and what is it that you're, uh, an advisor for criminal justice. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got any room in there? And it was some, probably something like that. My connection with Frank Simon, a, a great guy. Um, and he, uh, he was kind of like providing me a, a soft landing from that aborted medical career that I think the world is better off. Never got off the ground. How about that? And all these years later, 
Uh, this is what you've you made so you made a difference in so many people's lives. Well, we try. I would have made difference in a lot of lives had I gone the other way, but also yeah. not in a good way. <laughs> it might have been. I would have been on the other side of the of the bench <laughs> and the court. <laughs> you know, I don't see too many doctors being sentenced to prison, Doctor Hudson. But uh, <laughs> yeah. you're the first. Well, you know, during this time, you're older and everything. Are you watching uh, what uh, you know Jim Crockett's doing now? Are you still keeping up with wrestling? Yeah, back back in the eighties. Oh yeah, yeah. The, um, it was it was it was the great escape that I found back in 1970, yeah. um, you know, seeing Bob Armstrong and Jimmy oh, yeah. dancing bear and Bill Dromo and buddy Colt and all those guys, um, Oki Shakina and El Mongol and Dick Steinborn. Um, it was the escape then and became and, and remained the escape. And so, yeah, I've watched everything again. And, and this is still in the getting Florida, getting mid Atlantic, getting Georgia, uh, the Columbus show had gone away. The Macon show had gone away, but it was still on what was now TBS. Yeah. Um, and then a super station, not an Atlanta station. Right. And, you know, there were other shows. There was the uh, uh, Jody Hamilton, the assassin had started the initial uh, incarnation of deep South wrestling in Lovejoy, Georgia. And he had a TV show with Nick Patrick and rock Hunter as the announced team. So that aired on channel 31 out of Albany. Um, there was the world organization wrestling out of Pensacola. I cannot remember who it was that owned that, but they had, it was, it was a rough little group, but that was where Bob Holly started. Oh yeah. Um, Hardcore Holly. Mm -hmm. Uh, He started down there. And I remember thinking, boy, this is a really bad show, but Bob Holly's good. Um, And so he, and he, when he was, and then was ended up seeing him at a WCW taping, uh, doing jobs for somebody, uh, when, on one of these, uh, tapings they would do in like Gainesville and Dalton and Mm -hmm. Anderson, South Carolina and Chattanooga and wherever, um, that he showed up there and I was with my friends and Hey, that's Bob Holly. He used to be on this really horrible show called world organization wrestling out of Pensacola. He's really good. And sure enough, he, I'm not taking any credit for it. He was, he was his own man, and and but he was a he was a great hand. But so I was still watching everything that came up. Yeah, All, even even the bad stuff, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, and did you have an opportunity to get involved uh, with the uh, publication that she's working with, or did you try? Did you pursue that, or how did that happen? I um I. I somehow back in 1984 stumbled into like four free issues of the wrestling observer newsletter. And, you know, I, I think because I had subscribed to wrestling, Eye magazine, um, that, that got me four free issues of the observer. So one day just in the mail comes these, I don't know if you remember the observer, you obviously don't remember 1984, but it was, you know, just, on a, on a manual typewriter on eight and a half by 11 front and back, single space, double column, just wrestling news, just news. Yeah. No editorializing, no nothing really. And that came in the mail one day and I'm like, what is this? And I read it and it was just this eye opening experience that, you know, Dave Meltzer uh, had put together. 
and I read through it and poured through it. And he had the subscription information, you know, it's, I can't remember what it was like 10 bucks for three months or whatever it was. And so I subscribed for a year or whatever, right out of the gate. And, um, so from there I, I wrote to him and told him, I said, Hey, look, I live in Georgia and all of that provenance. I just gave you about all the shows and TVs and stuff. So I became uh, what amounted to like a stringer for him, uh, unpaid, obviously, just doing it for, you know, to further the business. Um, so that was it. Just, and then that I, I ended up finding um, Pro Wrestling Torch and uh, Matt Watch and Arena Reports and some other uh, newsletters back in the uh, back in the mid to late 80s and, and follow the business that way. And did you ever go to any of the matches during that time or was you oh, just sure. run? Yeah. Yeah. Um, went to, again, still going to Tallahassee, go over to Dothan. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were at the, you know, the house and County farm center, Tallahassee sports stadium. Um, every now and then I would make the trek up to Atlanta, about a three hour haul from South Georgia. But um, there were two, um, well, there was a billion shows at the Omni, but there were two shows at the Omni. And I'm thinking this was the summer of 87. The, uh, if, and I, I stand to be corrected on this. I'm doing this from memory. Um, but one of them, this was in the, in the afterbirth of Crockett promotions, purchasing Mid-South sports, Bill Watts's territory Yeah, that they, they brought the Freebirds back. And the main event was the Freebirds versus the Horsemen. And I was not going to miss that. And so I drove up and whatever was on the undercard, and that was the Omni. So it was a terrific undercard. Uh, but that was ju- just that deafening roar uh, when the when the Freebirds came out back to the Omni for the first time since 1981. Incredible. And then the next month, if I'm remembering it correctly, was the first War Games. Mm. Um, the match beyond with, oh boy, I can't even remember Dusty and Nikita, maybe Lex, the road war, no, Dusty and Nikita and the road warriors, maybe against the horsemen. Again, I can't remember if that was it, but it was something that was the guys that were being pushed. So if that wasn't it, it's close enough for jazz, but that was, I went to those two Omni shows in two successive months and, that was about the only times I got up there. There is one TV taping for the Saturday night show that I went up for um, probably around that same time somewhere. I had never been, and those shows were free. You just had to show up outside the uh, studios over on Techwood, um, just on the west side of the connector in downtown Atlanta near Georgia Tech. Um, and if you, you know, if you showed up, you got in. I mean, until the room was full. I don't think it was ever full. It was just, you know, it was squash, 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 squash. So it was, you know, I'd rather go pay 10 bucks to watch the real stuff than sit for three and a half hours of squash. But I went once and there's, I I had the videotape for the longest time, but there I am on the front row chanting rock and roll when Ricky and Robert were, you know, coming out and they they got on me. And I remember I was in like a purple Izod shirt. I'm just rock and roll, you know. (laughs) taking a complete photo of myself but so that's out there somewhere oh man you know did you ever get to uh meet any of the guys or anything like that you know as far as sure. just where the where they knew. oh you mean back th- back then back, back in the then, 80s back oh. then 
No, it was it was it was the dying days of kayfabe, and there were still I'm, more than fifty percent of the of the people in the business, probably well more than fifty percent, protected it still. Yeah, and it didn't matter that I wrote for the newsletters and that I knew a great bit about the business by that point, but I wasn't in the business, so I was not someone you talked to. Right. I got you. Didn't get to meet anybody. Would have been great. Yeah. Marked out like crazy as evidenced by the unfortunate rock and roll chant there at the TBS studios. That time. <laughs> uh, man, what a, what a time that would have been. And in, in that oh, yeah. when the free birds come back, that's, Oh, uh, I, 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 I wasn't around for, you know, all of the great big shows of the sixties and seventies and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would say that may have been the biggest pop I ever heard. Mm -hmm. And it could have been because I was popping along with everybody else, but to see the birds back in the, in the Omni was, was amazing. Wow. Um, and uh, all the while you're still at your, at what you call your real job. Yeah. The shoot job. Yeah. Still, still working like crazy. That's, uh, did, did you, you know, I know you kind of came into that kind of by a fluke, you know, <laughs> yeah. did Thanks you, to Frank, yeah. what's that? The, the, the working crim- in criminal law. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was because I couldn't handle surgery. You but, think it's bad to uh, get surgery. It's something else to watch it. That just, oh, and you I know, in imagine. this line of work that I do, it's, you know, in the early days, you know, I've seen, this is horrible, but I've seen, um, there goes my wife, by the way, on camera. I've seen um, dead bodies. You know, it just goes with the territory for this line of work. And um, if, and it's sad and you never get used to it, but it is part of what you do. Yeah. But there was something about seeing a live body cut open <laughs> that I could not handle. They could have taken a dead body and sawed it up with a chainsaw and I wouldn't have blinked but it was live and things move around in there, you know? So I, I wasn't interested. I uh, was you know, ran back to Frank's office and begged to be a criminal justice major. Man, I, I, I totally get it. I mean, I, I think it takes a special kind of person to be a EMT. To oh gosh. Yeah. Any of that kind of stuff in that surgical room. Yeah. I, I, not just anybody can just say, Oh, kind of, I kind of might be good at this. You know, no, you gotta be, you got to be like born almost to want to do that. I feel yeah. like, you know, and with I, the, I think there, there's a lot to that. I agree with the law stuff, you know, kind of stumbling into that. Did you develop more of a passion for that or was you just such oh, a sure. good? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I realized that um, I can't say this is what I should have been doing all along because it's the old thing about if you're happy with where you are right now, it's the sum total of every decision you've ever made. So who knows if I had, if something had changed, you know, it's like the butterfly effect. Yeah. But, I, but yeah, once I, once I got into this line of work, I realized this is, this is what I love to do. And it's, uh, it's never let me down. It's never been, you know, the old cliche that if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Well, yep. I've never worked a day in my life at this or wrestling. Yeah. Never, never. Oh, well, how did you get involved with, 
uh, WCW. With WCW, well, if I may jump back just a little, um, I, I I moved to Atlanta back in 1988, and um, with with my shoot job, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. and um, this is country comes to town. I'm coming from South Georgia, you know, moving to the big city. And everybody's oh yeah, I, I literally remember the one of the detectives with the Tifton Police Department, a, a tremendously nice man named Mitch Williams, who I think has has passed away, called my mother and said, "Well, I just want you to know that I'll I'll make some phone calls up there and we'll make sure he's looked out for because I don't I don't think he's going to make it. They thought I was going to go up there and get killed like the first <laughs> weekend." Uh, and they were serious. So I, I, I moved to Atlanta. And, of course, it's Atlanta, Georgia. There's wrestling every 30 feet. Yeah. So I uh, make friends, fast friends, with Stephen Prezak, who's still my best friend other than my aforementioned wife walking around the house. Um, so Steve and I would go to wrestling shows anywhere we could find him around Atlanta, which, again, is pretty much whenever we want. So we went to a show – this would have been in 1989 out in Carrollton, Georgia. And it was promoted by Joe Petticino's, uh Georgia All-Star Wrestling. was the, or Yeah, Georgia All-Star Wrestling. And Joe Petticino and his wife, Bonnie Blackstone, hosted an eight-hour block of wrestling mm-hmm. on Channel 69 in Atlanta. Every Saturday night from 8 o'clock until 4 in the morning. They would show seven different hours of wrestling, and then the last hour was just the fills, and they would put in to you know expand it out to eight hours. And um, I'm, I'm sorry, six hours. They would show five shows. That's right. It was six hours, not eight. Six hours. And so it still went until two in the morning. And so one of the shows was the Georgia All Star Show, and I watched it, and it was great. And he had a WCW show, a WWF show. Uh, the Memphis show, uh, I think the Puerto Rico show, uh, and maybe in one other one or his and his show, the Georgia all-star show. Um, so we go to the show and it's, it's, you know, good old Georgia local wrestling, except the ring announcer was lost without a map. I mean, he was calling guys by girls names and mask wrestlers by like, shoot names and it was horrible. And I had by this point been doing radio for almost 10 years and fancied myself as, you know, I kind of knew what I was doing. And I went up to Joe, never having met him ever. And I just said, I don't know what you're paying this moron, but I'll do it for free. And he said, you're hired. And so (laughs) the next show I was the ring announcer and I didn't screw it up. Um, and so then he said, I got, I, I got an idea. I want to try something with you. So he put Steve and I on his Saturday night show, that block, we had a segment called point counterpoint where we would basically highlight the top feuds of every show that aired on that block. And Steve was the heel and I was the baby face. And we would just argue about who was right and who was you know, getting the better of the other in the feuds in Puerto Rico and in WWF and WCW. Yeah. And so that worked. And then he put me as the uh, play-by-play guy on the Georgia All-Star Show. And so that was it. Well, the Georgia All-Star Show aired, you know, probably 10 stations around North Georgia, including the block. 
and a lot of the WCW guys, <clears throat> pardon, watched it um, or would record it and watch it on Sundays, whatever. And they got a huge charge out of Steve and I, our commentary. We worked for five bucks a month. So we knew that we could get away with murder. Yeah. You know, the commentary. What are they going to do? Fire us and find somebody <laughs> right. to work for yeah. five bucks a month? So, um, so we would make these inside jokes and, as an example, we had a phantom title change for the tag team titles one week because the team had quit and you know, had dropped the had dropped the belts off, but had never lost them. So we created this entire storyline about how they had won the titles at a one night tournament at the Ed Farhat Arena. <laughs> you know, Ed Farhat was the chic. You know, it was the Ed Farhat Arena, and we made up some <laughs> other dumb town. And so they they love that WCW guys like Page and Disco and uh, Canyon, uh, although Disco was part of our group, not in WCW yet, but 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 Canyon and and Page and uh, Brian Clark, you know Wrath, yeah, yeah. Um, those guys that kind of hang out would watch it. So we kind of got in with them, and they would they we would all get together and watch pay per views, WCW and WWF pay per views back when that was a thing. And so that was it. And then one night or one day, if this is this is the answer to your question, I'm at the a place called the Abbey in Atlanta, which is an old 1800s church that at the time was a restaurant and is now a church again, believe it or not. But at the time was a restaurant, a really nice, almost Parisian looking place. And we had our annual awards luncheon for the office, for the, for the court personnel at the Abbey. Well, I just got named employee of the year. So it was awesome. I mean, I got up and stood up and got the plaque and the whole drill. And, you know, it was very humbling and an honor to get that because it was a room full of just the best of the best in, in criminal law. Yeah. And I sat back down. No sooner had I sat down than the waiter comes over. Sorry, Mr. Hudson said, yeah. And he said, I've got a call for you at the, uh, at the Mater D stand. Said, okay. There's no cell phones. This is 1995. Sure. So I run over there and I answer uh, Scott Hudson. I said, yo, Scooter, this is DDP. I said, What's happening? I said, it's not really the best time. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I got somebody that wants to talk to you. And it was Eric Bischoff. Oh, wow. And uh, Eric said, Scott, we've got an opening um, for a C team announcer here. Um, Paige has sung your praises. A lot of people have, and, um, we think we can find something for you to do. If you want to come in and audition, we'd love to have you try. I said, perfect. When he said, how about Tuesday at whatever, one o'clock, whatever time it was. And so that was it. And I went wow. in, um, at, uh, the CNN center downtown Atlanta where WCW used to have their production facilities. People thought it was the headquarters. It wasn't, it was just production. Um, Went in, there's no receptionist, just a little, you know, room with chairs and a table. Sat there forever. Keith Mitchell, who was a producer, incredibly talented man. Yeah. Uh, stuck his head out one of the side doors and he goes, are you Scott? I said, I am. He said, hang tight. We'll be with you in one second. I said, All right. Take your time. So I sat there another 10 minutes. He stuck his head out again. And he goes, Scott, we're ready for you. I said, super. He said, just come in this door. So I come in that door and I'm, the minute I'm on the other side, I'm on the set of WCW Pro with Bobby Heenan. Oh, shit. And I'd never met Bobby in my life. You know, he was just a guy that I watched. Oh, man. For all those years. And um, Keith goes, 
Scott, this is Bobby Heenan, Bobby Scott Hudson. I shook his hand and said, hey, Bobby, I'm a big fan. Nice to meet you. He goes, all right, good luck. I said, all right. Keith said, okay, we're going to we're gonna do a 60-second hard time open. Um, Scott, this is WCW Pro. You're the host, Bobby's, Bobby's Color. Uh, you all play off each other, but billboard the pay-per-view. I guess you know what matches are on the pay-per-view this weekend. I do. All right. Go back and forth. You got to make a hard time of 60 seconds uh, and pitch to the ring in three, two. And that was it. I had less time than I just told you to to do that. And I did it in one take. Wow. And they said, you know, this wasn't about how good you are. It's can you work under pressure? You did it. Job's yours. So that was it. And I was in. Unbelievable. So, so after that, how long was it when Eric kind of offered you a contract, you know? Oh, well, you don't, the, the, the next day, I mean, you don't work there without a contract Yeah, and you have to because well, of, you know, the, the rights to your name, image and likeness. I was sure. doing NIL stuff before it was cool, I guess, but you know, it, yeah. So our contract was the next day, maybe nah, I say the next day, but later that week. And, and what were your, what were your obligations actually going to be? Was it just going to be doing the one show? Initially. Correct. The first show, the only show that I was on, and the contract doesn't say you're only going to do one show. The contract just says you do whatever we say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the only show I did was WCW Pro, mm-hmm. which was the Sunday afternoon show on TBS yep. at five o'clock, which was basically like a best of yeah. the Saturday night. Um, and it was usually it was it was never me and Bobby, even though Bobby and I worked together later on a ton together. But it was me and uh, Legend Zabisco, who oh, was yeah. just incredible, incredible to work with. Love him. Yeah, me too. So you had to be thinking. I mean, were were they? Was the compensation? Was it fair for what you were sure. doing? To me, it was. I mean, I'm getting to hang out with my heroes and do wrestling television on a big scale. Yeah. I mean, it was like working for Pedicino, you know, I don't know what they're paying him, but I'll do it for free. Yeah. I, you know, now it's, you know, it's whatever, 26, seven years after, you know, if Eric had said, then you're going to work for free. I was, ah, okay. You drive a hard <laughs> bargain, Eric, but I'll do it. Oh man. How many days a week, you know, of your time would that take to do this? Okay. So here you go. Here, here's, I've, I've told the story, but it always makes me. And every now and then break down in tears. So I'll warn you. Uh, that's a joke, by the way. Um, Sunday, get up. And I live out there in Vining's suburb of Atlanta, near the WCW, the real WCW out on Log Cabin. And Sunday, I get up, go to the airport. It's only about a 20 minute drive, catch a plane to Pittsburgh, um, get to Pittsburgh get checked into the hotel, get my rental car, get to the building. And then by noon, we have a production meeting for the pay-per-view that night. Pre-tapes, changes to the, to the, to the, to the script, more pre-tapes because they've changed the script. It's just this chaos. Do the pay-per-view. Pay-per-view's over. Uh, Get in my rental car, drive to Buffalo. Because Nitro's in Buffalo the next night. Drive to Buffalo, get there about 2 in the morning, 2 or 3. Check into the hotel. Get a few hours sleep as much as I can. Get to the building for a production meeting for Nitro. Same stuff. Pre-tapes. 
you know, whatever, run sheet changes, you know, what it did the stuff. Yeah. Nitro comes on, nitro goes off, go back to the hotel and sleep, get up the next morning, catch the very first flight out, six o'clock, to get back to Atlanta to be at the office at eight o'clock. Oh my God. Are you and a then, machine? And then work all day. Oh my God. And then and then Wednesday work all day. And then Wednesday after work, go over to that same studio over on Techwood. Um, and do WCW worldwide with either good grief. It was usually Mike today. Sometimes it was Bobby. A couple of times it was Stevie Ray, who was insanely funny. Uh, and, and then from there we would go into the studio and do voiceovers for international nitro and international thunder, Jesus. um, which airs everywhere in the world, except the United States. Yeah. So then, Go back to work all day Thursday. Go work back to work all day Friday, um, and then after work on Friday, go to um, the log cabin facility to voice over the two-hour WCW Saturday night. And then, absent the pay-per-view, which was only once a month, do the same thing every week. God, I can't even. It was, it was tough. How, and how long was that schedule? That particular that schedule, schedule would have been. Well, I, I did Nitro in the pay-per-views for 99 and 2000. Mm-hmm. So abs- so back out um, Nitro in the pay-per-views, and it was that. And after I'd been in for, you know, a couple of months, they, you know, I was, I was doing that. And then when I got Nitro and the pay-per-views added, um, and the first, the first pay-per-views I did were, the backstage blasts thing, which I think were internet only. Oh yeah. I remember those um, with uh, Jimmy Barron and Chad Damiani mm-hmm. um, and me, we were, we were backstage basically calling the pay-per-view, but only for internet audiences. Um, I think you had, you know, paid like $3 or whatever. I can't remember what the deal was, but it, it was, but it was just us goofing around more so than anything else. Yeah. Uh, I can see why you were employee of the month previously. That <laughs> 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 was it was a lot of fun, you know. And but again, I remember, you know, when I had a baby, oh. you know, my daughter was born during that time, and my wife, um, you know, God love her, was taking care of a baby. So I would do everything I could to get you know to get home, but when I could. And, you know, to be there for my daughter, who's now 22 and keeps making noise about going to law school. I don't know if she's going to do that or not. But anyway, um, so that that was and I, I remember thinking and telling my wife, Casey, like, you know, there's going to come a day when I look back at this and wonder how in the hell I did did everything. But that's not today. I got to go. I got to go to log cabin. So that's unbelievable, go. man. I, I don't know anybody else that could have could have done that. Yeah. Honestly, Andrew, anybody could have. Anybody that had the passion um, and loved the sport and wanted to could have done that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not special, but if 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 you or any of your viewers um, had been given that opportunity, yeah, you'd have done it. You'd have found a way. Now, granted, at 58, I am not finding a way. I'm done. Yeah, but I was. When, when 95, I would have been 31. So yeah, 31. Yeah. Found a way get to work in the business and at my real career and make it all work. Yeah. 
let's go back to that initial uh that initial contract for you said pro right yeah sunday morning yeah um you know how long was that how long was it just the initial one show before they saw hey you know this guy's pretty good. We need to give him more. <laughs> yeah, this, this guy's a moron. He'll do. He'll do all that stuff. I just. Um, uh, it wasn't long. A couple of months. A couple of three or four months. Um, I remember getting the call from Eric. And if I mention Eric a lot, I can't say enough good about Eric Bischoff. I love Eric. Too. He gets a lot of heat, and people say, you know, unkind things. And I know he and Flair have heat, and I get all that. But I've I've had the the great fortune of in my life working for in in both of my careers for some incredible people. And as you saw from my signature in my email, I'm the boss where I am now. I'm it. I'm the, the whatever the big cheese. I'm it. I'm the boss. Yeah, and I understand that. So, but of all the people, and I've I've told this to Eric many times. Um, the best boss I ever had was Eric Bischoff, a terrific leader and a, a, a genuine visionary about the sport that I love. And when you think about, oh, that's that's so dumb. All he did was just ride the crest of the wave. He really didn't. He caused the wave. And then he rode the crest of it, and that's fine. But what was the business when Eric got there? And what was the business when we got shut down? That was a lot of him. Anyway, what I was talking about was I remember the day I got the call from Eric at my house saying, you know, by then getting a call from Eric Bischoff was no offense, was no big deal anymore. Yeah, yeah. It was a boss calling. Okay. What, what do you need? That's not a good time. It's dinner. Yeah. Um, and he said, I want to run something by you. Um, how would you feel about becoming only the third host of WCW on TBS. Oh, wow. It was, it was Gordon, it was Tony, and we want to, and you'll be the third. Saturday night? Yeah, Saturday night. I said, oh, my oh, God. I, I bet that meant. Yeah. I said, say when? Where do we go? When do we start? And um, so that was it. You got to throw oh, Jim in there because Jim and Tony <laughs> did it for a while a little bit, and I respect Jim. Ross, God, I, I, I hold, I, I take a backseat to nobody in my respect for him. But for the, for the most part, it was either Gordon, it was Tony, or it was Tony and Jim, and then it was going to be me. Wow. There's no way on earth I was saying no to that. So he said, well, come on down here whenever Saturday and we'll start running through things. We're going to make some changes. They changed the set and they changed the music and they da 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 but it worked. It was fun. I I feel like that was pretty special for you, just because oh, you grew up like, with that. That was the yeah. flagship thing at the time. That was the show that I walked through the living room when my dad and my granddad were watching it on WXIA. Yeah, it's the same show. It obviously had <laughs> evolved yeah. in a million different directions, but it was the same show. Hmm. Yeah, that that's. I feel like personally, you know, that was a big, really big thing. It, I think it, it would be for me. Yeah. Um, you mean, know. I'm I, at the time and to this day, as we are on the 
cusp of 2023, I'm still a mark. You know, there's still things about this sport that just make me get chill bumps. And I love those moments. They're fewer and farther between anymore. But, you know, the mark then, mark now. And, you know, oh, you can't say that. The hell I can't. It's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Nothing wrong with it. Oh, not at all. Um, Did he, did Eric, you know, offer more money or anything like that? Or was it just kind of the same deal? I can't, I can't remember. Yeah. Honestly, I never did it for the money. And that ended up becoming a, 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 a point of contention, I think, for Bobby. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't mind telling you all of that jazz. You just heard me go through like Sunday, go to uh, Pittsburgh and then Buffalo and uh, Nitro. And, uh, all of that. They paid me 75 grand a year. Not bad. No, it was fine. Yeah. It was, I don't They were paying me to do wrestling. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I stopped listening at paying me to do wrestling. I didn't, yeah. you know, I didn't care. And you know, I, I wasn't exactly making poverty wages at my real job either. So I was right. doing great. But Bobby did one show at the time. And I think it was Nitro. I think he was still on Nitro at the time. And they were paying him like 210 a year. And he's doing one show. Yeah. I'm doing all of that for a third of the money. And he didn't like it. It wasn't that he didn't like me, but he didn't like it and that I didn't fight for more money because it, it let them think that, well, I could, we could, we could get away with paying Bobby. Yeah. You know, a 10th of what we pay Scott since he's doing a 10th of the work, you know, and that's not fair, but, and I, I never, I never heard that from Bobby. I know that he had made some comments about it. Um, but again, it wasn't personal. He, he, we got along great. I, I thought Bobby was just an amazing talent and he, and we got along there was no heat or anything like that, but, and he had, and, but in all, in all honesty, he had a point. I, I understood his point. Sure. You know, he's Bobby Heenan at the same time. That's true. There's only and one. He had, earned, he had earned it. I hadn't earned shit. Yeah, I mean, I'm I mean, a dirt sheet writer who was working for five bucks a month making Ed Farhat jokes. And now yeah. all of a sudden I'm doing all of this stuff. I get that. Yeah. Bobby Heenan has been doing it, you know, since the sixties. And, um, so he, he's earned that through, and I forget what he did in the WWF where he was just incredible and the best of all time for, you know, forget all of that. He had earned the right to make three times what I made for doing less work. That's paying him for what he did, you know, in Indianapolis in 1968. Yeah. More so what he did in Atlanta in, you know, 1998. Yeah. I kind of get both sides of it. Um, you know, those guys that Eric would bring in in the mid nineties there before it really, really, really got hot, you mm-hmm. know, um, he, he was thinking, he, he was, he was thinking on a whole different level. Eric was, he was a, he was a, like a salesman business guy. And, you know, you talked about Eric and when I was on tour a few years ago out in Wyoming, he invited me to stay with him and Lori. You know, wow. I stayed at their house and, you know, he was the first, very first guest on this podcast. He, he did that as a favor to me. Very um, nice. 
And the thing with Eric, man, you, like you said, he gets so much shit. But you got to think, these people got to think, okay, he was doing something that nobody else was doing at the time. Yep. And this was kind of, he didn't have a, he didn't have a choice because he was in that position. And all of a sudden, Ted Turner decides he just wants to go live and compete completely. Like, what the hell are you supposed to do? That's right. And, and you know, not everybody is going to say he was the greatest guy in the world. I mean, he, he, he's the boss. You can't boss. be, but man, he loyalty is important to Eric. I feel like, I feel like yeah. he's a very loyal person. Yep. Um, he, he's a good guy, man. And, and he does get a lot of shit, but you know, he, he's a good well, dude. This is a tortured analogy and it's going to sound dumb, but when my daughter was little and I'm my wife and I are both into music musicians to a degree, but really love music, all kinds of music. And my daughter, I would tell her about the Beatles and she would listen to, you know, the magical mystery tour or the white album or Sergeant Peppers and Abbey road. And th that's good stuff. But then, uh, you know, she would hear, you know, meet the Beatles or with the Beatles, those first few albums where they were putting out one every, you know, three months. And it was like, these, these just aren't that good. Uh, yeah. You know, they're, that's, you know, whatever, this just sounds like every other sixties band. I said, that's the point. It isn't good, but nobody else was doing that. It was Prez Prado or it was Andy Williams or this. Yeah. And that's why, the Beatles matter, not because what they did, you know, I want to hold your hand and please, please me and all that is it, so timeless and great. And I could listen to that again today. I couldn't, I don't really care for that. Me, I don't, but I do know that they were doing it when nobody else was. And that's kind of like what Eric had to do with, with Nitro and the evolution of WCW in 1994. He had to, again, to further torture the analogy, he had to be kind of like the Beatles and, and invent something out of nothing that wasn't there. Um, you know, the Beatles created their sound, but there was music. There was Buddy Holly that, you know, had a three-man yeah. band, and, you know, so it was done. Yeah. But nobody else had done it like that. And so there was pro wrestling, but nobody else had done it like what Eric envisioned. And I I, I don't think that's too too tortured of an analogy because no. you, you can't argue with the success. Uh, you're right. It's a perfect analogy. That's exactly what he had to feel like, you know, and he did it, man, because he's a visionary. He just had the, he had the mind to think beyond what had been done and, and yeah. just, you know, production wise and make things look and sound better. Like you're not in a little dim lit ring with one light, you mm -hmm. know, when when your right. WWF has got all these colors, these can you know these, it's like everything. And I, I just wish people would give Eric a lot of credit. You know, I think Vince took a lot from Eric when he became an on role, I mean, on air character. Sure. You know. Yeah, of course he did. And and you know, and I'll I'll say this um, toward the end there, you know, we we stole a lot of stuff, including people from Paul E. Well, yeah. he's another one that I think was uh, a visionary oh, God. And, and, saw, and saw stuff. Um, Paul Lee just had the 
misfortune of, and I, I love Paul to death, but of not being the greatest businessman, yeah. but as an idea man and a creative mind, maybe the best ever, certainly in the discussion. I'm telling you. Yeah. I agree with that completely. Um, well, you know, going back to that, going back to the, uh, when you got Saturday night, it was yeah. you and Larry. Um, did, yeah, it was me and it was me and Larry, or it was me and Mike. Yeah, kinda. Um, of of you know some or somewhere, and then every now and then was me and Dream, which was I felt so bad for those closed captioning guys. I actually <laughs> said that on the air. <laughs> you know, he would go off on one of his tangents, especially when we would bring in the Lucha guys or. Uh, maybe some of the Japanese guys, and I'm I'm trying to tear through those transitions and the moves in addition to their names, and then he would he would try to stumble through it, and all <laughs> yeah. I would just look at him and I would just say, "Good luck, closed captioning guys," and I'd move on to something different. <laughs> oh man, yeah, but looking back, you know, especially those pay per views, let's go, man. That's all, that's all you had to hear from him. Like if he ain't yeah. said nothing else, he's already added to it in my eyes because he's Dusty yeah. Rhodes. <laughs> I, I remember. Uh, uh, it was a pay-per-view. Well, I wasn't doing, I never did a pay-per-view with dream, but he did some pay-per-view and the line he said, wasn't one of those great, you know, hard times promos or anything like that, that he's famous for yeah. legendary for. He just said, <laughs> he said this word S H I T T E N. I don't remember that. And it was after, I don't know if it was Medusa but a, a, a female had slugged a guy, and that's all he could say. Shit him! Shit him! Shit him! <laughs> <laughs> like, she hit him. But I you mean... couldn't pick that out. No, the closed captioning guys were losing their mind. Uh, just remember that. And, but that passion, you know. Yeah. That was, what Dusty was as a commentator was the guy sitting at home watching yeah. the show exactly. saying – Exactly the same thing when Dusty said it. Exactly, and that's you, you. You to be able to to channel that from the viewer that you don't even know. You know, two million, three million people out there, you don't know who they are. Yeah. But to be able to know what they're thinking and what they're saying, and I'm I'm sure when he said that, and again, if it wasn't Medusa, I apologize. I can't remember. But the Shitem line when when he said that. It was being said at the exact same time by half of the viewers. Yeah. When Dusty said it. And you you, <laughs> just, you can't teach that. You can't read a book. You can't get experience. That's just something you either have or you don't. It's like in football, you know, you can't teach height. Mm-hmm. You can teach somebody the playbook. You can put somebody in a weight room, but you can't teach somebody to be 6'3". Right. And that was something Dusty had that, you know, you just you couldn't teach. Well, was anybody, you know, was Tony Schiavone or anybody like that, that they kind of take you under their wing, so to speak, and say, okay, this is kind of how we, you know, take an extra, kind of go the extra mile to make sure. Oh, Tony. Tony did. Absolutely. Tony was the boss. Yeah. Um, Tony was, um, I don't know what his title was, director of broadcasting, executive vice president, whatever it was. But he was in charge of the announcers. He was our boss. I mean, you name it, from um, Gene, Bobby, Mike, Legend, me, not Dusty, because Dusty was was a different kind of talent, but Lee Marshall, um, uh, Dave Penzer, Mark Madden, 
he, you know, Tony was the boss. Didn't act like it, but he, he, he was the voice of reason, the voice of experience, giving us the advice and, Hey, don't do this. Let the picture tell the story. Tell you another thing Tony taught me way early was he said, a good announcer will not bring in one additional viewer, but a bad one will chase away thousands. And I never let that escape me. Whatever I was doing, I always remembered. I'm not bringing, nobody's paying to see me. Nobody's dialing up this channel to watch me. But if I'm not careful, I could chase them all back to raw or chase them all back to whatever the hell's on the other channel. So I, you know, I always kept that in the four. That's good. That's good advice. Very good. Yeah. He, he kind of plays the humble card. Tony does. Uh, but man, he has been around. Yeah. And, and you know, he, he deserves everything he's got right now. I'm glad he's back yes. in wrestling again. God, Tony's uh, probably been at this 40 years. Yeah. Because the Crockett's pulled him from their baseball mm-hmm. broadcast to make him um, a wrestling announcer. He was a, he was a baseball guy. Yeah. And the Crockett's own, I don't know if it's triple A AAA or double A team in Charlotte back in the early eighties. And Tony was their, was their broadcaster and they moved him over to be a wrestling announcer. Long time. You never, you never know well, where you get started. Yeah. You know, you're been in records and doing high school football. You're calling minor league baseball in Charlotte. You know, you're like Mike who was you know running the sports book at a, at a casino in Vegas. You never know when that call is going to come and when you're going to get your shot. You know, I think each person added so much during that time, during that mid to late nineties. And you start, you mentioned Larry Zabisco. Yeah. I liked him as a broadcaster. A lot of people say uh, he wasn't the best, but I really liked, he brought something different to it. That's right. He was a, he was a color guy. He was a, yeah. Uh, and and he, he, he was not supposed to know yeah. all the moves and all right. of that. He's not supposed to be able to tell you the story. He's supposed to impart the passion of what he's seeing, of what you're seeing through his voice. And that's what he did. Yeah. He, and, and because he had been in the business for a long time, for a long time, and he worked his style, he knew what they were doing. He could watch a match and break it down like, you break down, you know, like a tablature for a, a banjo player or a X's and O's for a for a football coach. He could break down the match like that in his head and then communicate that out. You go back and watch his commentary. He's pretty much doing that. Yeah. He's never saying, okay, what they're going to do next. He's not like Tony Romo, you know, where he's going to predict the next play or the next, you know, move sequence. But he's setting it up with his commentary to get you ready for what you're about to see. Yeah. It, it was just a, a great time during that time. Absolutely. And how did the whole thing, you know, was it because they let Bobby go? Is that why you got the nitro slot initially? You know, I don't, I don't know. I wish I did. Um, there that, Those kind of decisions, I, I know that makes the most sense, you know, because one week Bob, Bobby's there and next week I'm there. Um, but I, I don't know what went into that. I don't know if it was, uh, Bobby's out and Scott's in, or if it was Bobby wanted out 
and they had to find somebody to plug into that spot without hiring somebody. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, didn't matter. Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter now. You know, I, it yeah. was, it was fun to do and I, I wouldn't trade anything for it. Um, and Eric was still in the company during that time. So would he have been the one to say, Hey Scott, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We know that that was when Vince was in there. Russo. Okay. Yeah. And, um, that from, from, and this is, this was a, a rough period, but from one week to the next, you didn't know if Eric was in charge, um, or if Vince was in charge or if Eric had been sent home or Vince had been sent home or if both had been sent home and Kevin Sullivan was running things, which was great because Kevin running things would have been wonderful. Um, so I, I, I honestly can't remember. I, I'm, I'm sure when I got the call, it came from Tony. Okay. Not Eric. But I don't know what above Tony happened Yeah, to start that. And was that your first live thing you've done with WCW when you got the Nitro? Um, well, I did Nitro in 99 for three weeks. Um, they wanted to pull Tony off of the show just to give him a break. Yeah. I think he, I think he wanted some time and they can, and this was there. It came to me and said, we want you to host nitro for three weeks or for two weeks. So Tony can take his first vacation since like 1981 or whatever. So yeah. sure. What do you want me to do? So, you know, go see travel, book a flight to wherever it was. I think it was Memphis and gosh, Cedar Rapids. Mm. And then, and or whatever those two nitros in a row. Um, so we did it and they worked, but the bad part of it is, was the ratings went way up, not because I was on the show. It's just cyclical. Um, so Eric called me and said, we need you to be in Rockford for nitro. I said, sure. Uh, you know, first thing, like what happened to Tony? Nothing, you know, everything, everything's fine. But he said, you know, the ratings went up and we've got people watching the show that, don't know why you were here and we've got to pull you off the show. It can't be just you one week and then Tony the next, you got to have a reason. I said, okay, cool. So I go to Rockford and they come up with this idea to have Rick Steiner uh, beat the hell out of me. I remember that. <laughs> and I mean, he, I, I told him when we were working it out backstage before the show, I said, look, I played ball. I'm not a wrestler, but I, you know, don't take it easy on me. You can hurt me. You know, I've, I've, I've been, I've been through worse. Just make it look good. Yeah. Just kill me. He said, you sure? I said, I'm a hundred percent sure. Just do what you want. I'll, you know, I'll be dead. Said, All <laughs> right. So we worked it out. He comes out, pulls me over the desk, throws me in the ring, beats the hell out of me. And, um, I mean, he's really punching me too. I mean, it was, uh, so I'm, I'm laying there dead set on everything. Security comes and gets Rick out. And so I'm the host of the show. So there's no commentary. And, um, Goes to commercial. So during commercial, the EMTs are the production crew, right? So we're in a commercial, and I can't remember which one of the crew gets right next to me, and he goes, Scott, we're about 15 seconds out. Don't laugh. (laughs) I said, I'd say, you know, cut my mouth closed. Okay. And when you know, they count us back in. Eric is on the commentary booth or in the commentary table. And the camera is like two inches from my face. 
that's why I don't mean to laugh. Yeah. Cause I was going to be, and then they, you know, they pull back and did the beauty shot of me in the ring and this falder all going on. I'm dead from, from Rick killing me. And they put me in the, the backboard and the brace and Eric's like, Oh my God, you know, Scott's dead. And uh-huh. um, they roll me out of the, slide me out of the ring, put me on a gurney, take me out, get me to the ambulance. And then they do the old, you know, the ambulance doors close. Somebody taps it and the ambulance pulls off. Yeah. I'm in the ambulance and they go back to another commercial. So I'm in the ambulance and the EMT guys are like, um, they know I'm okay. These are the real EMT guys because I'm in a real ambulance. And they said, um, what time have you got to be back? I said, I don't, I'm, I'm dead. Yeah. You know why? He said, cause we just want to stop and get cigarettes. I said, that's fine. <laughs> Take your time. I, I don't, <laughs> I'm, I'm dead. I don't know what's going on. So that we stopped by like a CVS or something near the building and they go get cigarettes, come back and they, um, drop me off at the, at the hotel. So I, <laughs> so I wouldn't be back at the building. <laughs> oh man. I mean, you can't beat those kind of stories. Like, yeah, they could they have paid me Bobby Heenan money, maybe, but I don't, I don't know if I would have had those kind of stories. <laughs> yeah, can't beat that. Uh, yeah, I, you know how how different was it? Is even in the headset on a live on a live broadcast? You know what are you what are you hearing? Um, versus what you know, uh, whoever it was, who was it? Was it Mark Madden that came in at that time? With yeah, you? Mark came in. Um, How well, does that work? I, I I don't know what you know Mark and Tony were hearing, but what I what and I assume we were all hearing the same thing. We would hear from whoever's running Gorilla, and that was usually Terry Taylor. Um, and Terry, Terry, I love Terry Taylor. I think he's just I, I put him way up here. I love Terry, um, but Terry to me was always Terry ask the question Taylor, because that's what he would always say in my ear. Ask the question, ask the question, ask the question. Uh-huh. You know, why is he here? What happened to him? Why is he pulling out brass knucks? Yeah. Who's this woman? You know, yeah. ask the question, ask the question. That one, it was never like, say this, put over Skittles, talk about what's trending, you know, talk about the pay-per-view. It was just always ask the question. Yeah. Ask the question. Some shit would go on. Ask the question. Terry's a genius. And you know, Terry. on the shots where you know, uh, you know, usually it's uh, maybe I don't know, top of the hour. You know, definitely in the beginning where the announcer introductions are, and the three of you sitting there. Right. Um, can you hear Tony? Sure. Just, I mean, you can hear Tony, but do you hear anything? Is there is Terry in one ear and Tony in the other? How does that and, work? The WWF, WWE was mm-hmm. different, okay. but in WCW, we heard each other. And then when Terry or whoever was running Gorilla, Kevin, whoever, um, wanted to say something, they he would just hit like a defeat. Yeah. And we wouldn't hear anything except then. Okay, I got you. But they also wouldn't talk long because we needed to know that when they pulled off defeat – it wasn't like Scott. Scott, can you hear me? You know, Tony. He's been talking to me, and I couldn't hear him. They yeah. they were just like quick, quick hits, quick in and out. Yeah. Of you know, ask the question. You know, who is this? <laughs> ask the question. Ask the question. Well, there was a lot of questions probably being asked. Oh yeah, <laughs> during that, was, that time. 
<laughs> there was a lot of stuff going on that last uh, couple of years. <laughs> and, you know, Terry, with his ask the question stuff, sometimes the question was, I'm thinking of asking, is like, who booked this? <laughs> yeah. That's not the question he wanted me to ask. <laughs> like, who thought this was going to get over? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> not about to ask that question, though. Oh man. Um what pay-per-view was it where it was supposed to be Hogan and Sting? Not you know, not way after Starcade ninety seven. This was like a uh I wanna say Halloween Havoc. Maybe Halloween Havoc ninety nine, maybe. Where I'm, 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 I haven't committed those to memory. I'm well, it was they play Hogan's music. Hogan don't come out mm-hmm. for a long time. Um, then they play Sting's music. He comes out. Then they play Hogan's music again. And he, it takes forever. And he comes out and he's, I remember he had like a black vest or shirt or something, you know, what Tony calls it street clothes, you know? Right. And he comes in and says something to Sting and then just lays down. And, and you know, this was before, you know, bash at the beach, 2000 before with, the with Jeff and all that. Yeah. I, I honestly, I don't remember that. I, again, I'll take your word for it, but when you've done six gazillion yeah. shows and matches, that one just doesn't sound familiar. Well, I want to so during that run, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I want to say it was the same pay per view with uh, DDP and Goldberg, where where it you know it ran out of time. Uh, the the time bought for the pay per view it ran over and it blacked out. I want to say it's the same one, but I'm not sure. Let's get let's 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 go to Bash at the Beach then. Uh, there's so many people. Some people say, you know, it was all you know what we call what, what not what we call. I'm not in the business, but what y'all call a work. And some people sure. say it was what y'all call a shoot. Shoot meaning this was a real situation. A work meaning it's not basically for people that don't understand that. Um. I've heard so many takes and stories on that. Mm-hmm. I've heard from from Vince. Um, never heard from Hulk. Obviously, heard from Jeff. I think that it was a the 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 version that I think, and I don't remember whose version this is, but maybe it's an uh, amalgamation of versions. But the version that's closest is that it was a combination of both that at the end of the night, Booker was supposed to emerge with the title. Okay. You know, that was, that the was, ultimate. and that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, show's over Booker's champion. I think mm-hmm. that was what was supposed to happen. Vince was going to cut promo on Hulk, but I don't think any, but you know, Vince was the Booker. So, wasn't like he had to run it past anybody. And yeah. if you looked at the run sheet, um, it probably just said like Vince promo. You know, yeah. that was it. Um, but I, I, and so some of that was supposed to happen. Some of it obviously wasn't. Some of it was supposed to happen, but some of the people involved didn't know it was going to happen. Yeah. And I'll, that's us. Okay. We didn't know. Um, on on that night 
it was for us a complete shoot mm. because we didn't know what was going to happen. We know we know enough going in. Like we'll know if the finish is going to be screwy. Yeah, you know, like somebody's running in, or you know, Austin's driving in with a beer truck or what. I and mean, we know that kind of stuff. But as far as the the layout of the match and what exactly is the finishing move, we don't know. We know who's going over, but all of that was something we didn't know. Now, was it something that Hulk and Eric and Jeff had worked out beforehand among the three of them. I don't know, but I know that we didn't know. I I would think that it's, again, I think it's a combination. Obviously Vince knew what he was going to do. Jeff obviously knew what he was going to do. Yeah. I don't know that Hulk knew everything that was going on. In fact, I would bet the farm he didn't because if he did, he hired a lawyer and went to court for no reason. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's what it was. Uh, but I, I do know that, what's that, 20, 23 years ago, we're still talking about it. Just like they're talking about the, you know, the screw job with uh, Sean and Brett. Yeah. Still talking. So something worked. Yeah. It, it got people talking and they haven't stopped. Yeah. I've always wondered what y'all you know, if y'all knew anything prior, because obviously they probably wanted to get the, the real reaction, you know, to come across. So, oh, yeah. so they wouldn't feel exactly, y'all exactly us. right. That's why they didn't smarten us up. Yeah. If in fact it was a work. Yeah. Because, and because I think I even said on the show, like, like I said, I think I said those exact words uh, because it wasn't, you know, we didn't we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know what was happening next. Yeah. You know, we've got the you know Skittles instant replay of the week. Taste the rainbow of fruit flavors. Yeah. And we got nothing to show. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're you know we were we were gobsmacked as everybody else was. Well, you know when when Vance Russo come in, you know how how did things change? Or, you know what changes did you notice? between you know before they brought eric back with vince when when vince came in after they let eric go home during that time right um did vince just have a meeting with everybody and like how did that work you know did he uh that was as they say above my pay grade okay um i i'm just you know the announcer that all yeah. I know is, am I still, am I still on nitro Monday night? Okay. Okay. I'll be there. You know, that's it. So I just saw what I see. And again, we're there all day. So we've yeah. seen the format and the run sheet and the pre-tapes and the production meeting. So we know what's coming. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we see it for the first time, the minute the red light goes on and the pyro hits, Right. we know what's happening. So, I didn't notice a whole lot of difference other than who was in charge of the production meeting. Mm-hmm. Was it Eric? Was it Kevin? Was it Vince? Was it Ed Ferrara? Yeah. You know, when they brought Eric All back, uh, yeah. When they brought Eric back with Vince and they did the whole millionaires club versus the new blood. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember they had like a, a, a reset, 
you know, all the titles were vacant and on the on that uh, Nitro episode in, in 2000, yep. I think it was. It and was. It, I remember that. I thought that was, I thought that was a brilliant way to do it. Yeah, um, it was, I did too. And people go back and look at it now. I don't, I don't know that people really shit all over that angle back then, but anybody that did probably just dreams of something that good happening now. Yeah, it's better. Um, yeah. It was really well done. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this quick story, Andrew. Yeah. That was in Denver, Colorado. And it was also the nitro. And I think I'm right on this. The, the nitro, obviously that, that part's right. That nitro where we started the millionaires club and new blood. Um, the next night was the first thunder taping. I think it wasn't the first, it was the second or third. It was done on Tuesday night, live to tape, and then aired on Thursday. Whatever. And I was supposed to be on that Thunder. We do the Millionaire's Club, New Blood stuff. And memory serves, it was April 10, that we finish and go back to the uh, – I, I go back to the hotel, and I call my wife. I said, hey, did you see the show? Um, actually, I think that was my first Nitro as a, as a full-blown member of the team, Oh, um, too. Huge night. Wow. And um, said, I called my wife to see the show. She goes, yeah, you need to call your mom. You know, and I, I'm like, I need to call my mom, okay? Look, did you see when this happened? Did you hear when I said this smart-ass line? I'm just trying to, you know, still basking in what I thought was a really good show. And she goes, you need to call your mom. And I'm thinking she's just trying to be nice. My wife's a very nice person. Just, just call your mom. You know, this will mean more to her than it does to me. I don't care anything about wrestling, whatever. Um, so after I think, okay, I'll call her. I'll call her. I'll call her. And I'm still talking to her. She goes, look, call your mom. Your dad died tonight. Oh, my God. And so I was kind of taken aback. So I said, okay, let me call her. So I am call my mother and find out my dad passed during the first commercial when I had said, we'll be right back. And then he goes to take out the trash, I think, and has a heart attack and was dead before he hit the ground. Oh, I'm so sorry, man. Uh, uh, it's been 22 years ago. It's moved on, but oh. thank you though. But I, uh, so then I called Eric and Vince and told them, and I said, I need, I need to get, I need to get back to Georgia. And they said, go do what you got to do. We'll, we'll figure something out. So I got back home. Uh, had to go catch like a 5 a.m. flight, which was whatever, 7 a.m. in Atlanta. Got back. Anyway, I got back and dealt with dealing with my dad's estate and funeral plans and all that. So that was uh, mm. that was from the penthouse to the outhouse in a, in a pretty quick trip yeah. that night out there in Denver. But to, to the, not, not to belabor the, that point, it was a terrific angle. I mean that that footage that's still out there, I guess, and I'm sure it's on the network um, of that ring full of all of the talent that we had, um, just getting ready to 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 reinvent the company. Yeah, uh, that, was, that was as good a job at resetting things as any. You know, people were bitching and moaning about the artist formerly known as Prince Iakea and that seventies guy, Mike awesome. And this is dumb and this is dumb. And Jim Duggan's not Canadian. Okay. We go, we're going to reset now all that other stuff. 
out the window. We're going to start over. And I, I thought it was just incredibly well done. And it was a cool angle too, because there was a lot of that heat, you know, yeah. and, uh, and TNA did it with the, uh, what was it called? The million dollar mafia. What was it that they, with sting and, and Scott Steiner and Kevin, Oh boy. The something mafia they were, they were like the guys that were the established stars that were holding the younger guys down. Yeah. That was what, that was, that was all the millionaires club and the, and the new blood was. Cause it was a, sh- it was a, to a degree, a shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there wasn't any heat yeah. for real. Um, but it, you know, people could see that we had yeah. established stars and we had people that not everybody knew that mm-hmm. we were trying to build up and the stars were kind of not wanting to give up their spot and you can't blame them. So it was, there was a, there was a lot of shoot to that. And I, it reminds me of that sign and I'm going to misquote it, but the sign that Jerry Jarrett used to keep in his office in Memphis, which always said, which said personal issues, draw money. <laughs> That was the sign that Jerry Jarrett had in Memphis. And if you go back and watch Memphis, other than the, you know, the monsters and all that kind of stuff, but it was personal issues, draw money. And this was personal issues. And we were hoping it was going to draw money. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, and there were some good angles too. the, even, even the Hogan and the Kidman thing when that first started, Kidman. that was that's what everybody remembers. And that was, that was great. Yeah. Great angle and and Shane Douglas and Ric Flair that yes. everybody had wanted to see because Shane legit hated Flair. Exactly. Still exactly. Yeah. And you know what else I remember about that time too? I think it was a thunder taping where it was just chaos the whole show. Everybody was just fighting there. You know, had these climbing on the Nitro Tron and you know these yeah. were in the ring, these were outside, these were in the crowd, and then they end up turning the school bus over, <laughs> like picking the school bus over, like flipping it over. It was it was wow. the Millionaires Club, I think, that flipped it over. I remember that. Good grief! Uh, like you said, that right there that people probably did since you know, especially nowadays, you know, armchair quarterbacking has shit on it. Maybe not at the time, but it's still better than what's out there today, in my opinion. It is, you know, and even in two thousand one. After that, whenever that kind of dissolved and you really didn't, there was not a lot of direction at all in in the angles close to the end in 2001. Yeah. That's still better than. Correct. It started off (laughs) great. And that's true. I agree. I mean, people will, you know, I really wish things were as good as it was when Mike Hamer was the artist formerly known as Prince IK. Oh, those were great times. When people were shitting all over it then, yeah. but then they actually saw how bad it could be. And that's a that that point gets to the end of the competition yeah. between the WWE and WCW and ECW. Mm-hmm. On any given Monday night, when everything was hot, those 83 weeks when we won that Eric talks about on his podcast, um, and, and even afterwards, there were eight to 10 million people watching wrestling. Yeah. Now, sometimes more were watching us and it ended up that more were watching raw than nitro. And then at the end, a whole lot more were watching raw instead of nitro, but there were still eight to 10 million people. Yeah. Now, or, or when they bought us out and we went under and ECW went under, 
I mean, those people didn't die. They just stopped watching wrestling because it wasn't good anymore. And that competition, whether it was B from, from Paul E or from WCW made WWE better. And then when they had no more competition, they had no more incentive. They were the only game in town. They didn't have to be creative. They didn't have to build stars. They could just coast and they just coasted and watched their audience go straight down to where they would put out press releases when they would have over 2 million viewers. I'm like 2 million viewers. You guys used to beat us by 2 million viewers and we Mm. still had 5 million viewers, you know, or 3 million viewers. You know, and now you're bragging that you've got 2 million people. And I get that, oh, the entertainment platforms have changed with streaming and 600 channels and all this other stuff. Yeah. Not in 2002 it hadn't. No. In 2003 and four and five, and they just stopped watching you because it wasn't good anymore. And, again, those people were still out there. They just said, you know what, I'd rather watch, who the hell knows, Swamp People or American Idol yeah. than watch you. They did. That's exactly right. I mean, and, and that, was, that sucks because that hurts. That hurts the business. It does. It hurts the overall business. There's no competition anymore. I mean, look at the competition. You would not have Steve Austin just raising hell and driving a Zamboni to a ring or beer truck. You wouldn't have all that if it hadn't have been for necessity. You know, they were trying to right. outdo. Each one was trying to outdo the other, and it brought out the best in everybody. It was so, such a time. That's correct. That's exactly God. right. That's it, 100% exactly right. It was such a time. And, you know, I, w- I want to know, too, I'm sure a lot of people want to know, how long before the WWE, WWF, whatever, uh, bought WCW, how long before that happened did you have an idea that it might not be good, it might be on its way out? Uh, um, how long minutes? I mean, it, <laughs> well, it wasn't quite minutes, but we didn't know. I mean, during that, during that time in 2001, uh, we heard that again, to bring Jerry Jarrett back up, we heard that Jerry Jarrett was going to put together, uh, uh, a group to buy WCW. And then we heard that Eric, um, was going to find, uh, a group with Fusion Media to mm-hmm. buy WCW and, and keep it a separate entity um, and keep it airing. And then a man named Jamie Kellner, uh, who has added nothing to the entertainment industry in his whole life, um, canceled everything. Canceled TV, canceled syndication packages, syndication networks, canceled pay-per-view contracts. We don't want that as part of our corporate family. We don't want that, meaning wrestling fans. Um, so we went from being what we were and worth $40 million, maybe not, you know, not super huge, but worth something to when without TV, we had, we were worthless Uh Had nothing, nothing to generate cash flow, generate revenue from house shows or from pay-per-views or merchandise worthless, you know? And so when he did that, when Jamie Kellner did that, the company, uh, Vince, I don't know what the number was, $5 million, whatever the number was. Yeah, it wasn't much. uh, Maybe less than that, um, and bought everything that we had. And when that happened, we were told uh, there was a night show that Monday night at Panama City Beach at 
um, Club La Vila. Was it Club La Vila? Yeah. I think it was. Um, and we found out that Thursday before that Monday Nitro. Shit. That was going to happen. Oh, man. Because until Wednesday, was it going to be Jerry? Was it going to be Eric? Was it going to be, you know, somebody else? Was it going to be, you know, was AOL going to just keep us and, you know, spin us off into a separate division of AOL Time Warner and not part of Turner Sports? You know, it was a million different things. And then when Kellner canceled all the all the broadcasts, you know, over and and you know and then he ended up getting fired like six months later yeah i i mean you know the one thing i've the one thing i've always kind of been confused about that whole deal with jamie kellner okay eric had put this deal together with that fusion media group you know he had already been in talks with right. a different network uh moving kind of moving the headquarters right. uh all kinds of little things he had, you know, was working on. It was in place thinking that he was going to have the TV mm-hmm. time. I've always wondered, right. he couldn't have just assumed that he was going to have the TV time. I mean, yeah. he, you can't go out on a group is not going to be invested on an assumption of, you know, that kind of thing. So why in the hell did Jamie Kilner just at the very last minute say, Nope, Forget it. Like, you're not getting the TV time. Like, why even say at the beginning? I mean, he had a... He, he, did. yeah. just... it, it, he didn't like wrestling fans. He did not like how wrestling fans looked. He didn't like the fact that they didn't buy, you know, high-end motor vehicles. <laughs> that they didn't buy high-end wine and alcoholic beverages that they were you know, going to be buying Chevrolets and buying beer, you know, and he didn't want to have those kind of, that kind of demographic on his network on TNT because he wanted, Unbelievable. you know, I don't know what the word is, but that's, that's what he wanted. No matter the ad revenue that WCW had brought in, no matter the publicity it's got for Turner, no matter, none of that doesn't matter. He just didn't like wrestling fans. Now, I, again, I'm yet to have a conversation with Jamie Kellner. He's welcome to call me. <laughs> I'd love to. I'd but, like to talk to him, too. So I, I, I'm, I don't want to put words in his mouth. That's the version that we were told. Now, if the truth is something different, I stand to be correct. I just don't see at the last I minute. anything different in 22 years. You know, just. I thought, well, did, did Jamie say, okay, you can have the TV time and, you know, you're putting together this deal. And then at the last minute said, oh, no, change my mind. Uh, I mean, uh, I would really like to know. Well, that, that's, a, that's a question for Eric. And um, Eric probably <laughs> would like to know that too. He probably would. Um, because Eric, Eric got thrown under the bus in that whole deal too. So that last Nitro. Jerry did too. Yeah, everybody. That last Nitro in Panama City, you know, you're you're speak. You see Vince McMahon open the show. I'm sure y'all have a, I guess y'all have your your format like you always have, but you don't really know. Yeah, we, yeah. You don't really know. I mean, you're saying all these things like, what is Vince McMahon? You know, he's bought the company. What is he? What is he? Our jobs are 
we don't know if we're going to be here. Yeah. You know, you're saying all this kind of things. Well, we did know. <laughs> you did. You did know. Not, ultimately. It was not good news. Yeah. Yeah. And the end of it, how it just does the simulcast and just kind of just cuts off. Um, was there something on there? Did it just kind of end on, on your sheet or, I mean, did y'all think y'all was going to get to say goodbye and everything? I know you got to, you know, on, uh, uh, worldwide, right? Worldwide. Yeah. But on nitro with you and Tony, right. Was that, how did that work? Did y'all know y'all was going to be cut off in other words? Yeah, we, yeah, we 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 knew that we were going to have an hour and a half, I think. Um, and then after that, it was going to be a simulcast with Raw, and we knew that it was going to be Sting and Flair, and yeah, you know, that was going to be the end. And, you know, we we knew all that. You know, so every everything that night went exactly according to the format. Mm. I mean. There were no, there were no surprises. I mean, we, we didn't know what Vince was going to say. No, yeah, yeah. But again, what possible difference would that make? I mean, we did, we were going to react to what he said. We didn't know what it was, but you know, Vince is a pro. He's not going to come out and say, yeah, you know, something so ridiculously dumb that we have to act like that's you know what we believe. You know, he was a heel when it came to WCW, and he did he played his part, and so yeah, we we knew we knew what was going to go down that night. It wasn't like Panama city. I mean, uh, uh, Daytona beach. Yeah. The difference between Daytona beach and Panama city beach is a whole state apart and also worlds apart when it comes to knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. In the rain. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, so I guess you just got paid the remainder of your contract or, I mean, until that was the plan at the time, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we all had contracts, I assume we all had contracts and we all were paid. Um, we weren't paid by the WWF. We were paid by AOL, Time Warner, Turner Sports, whatever that corporate entity was yeah. because they they were yeah. the, you know, we're, our contracts were with them. And so, you know, they paid us, I don't know, however long we had left mm-hmm. on the contract. But contracts were never more than a year. For us, anyway, yeah. you know, for for talent like, you know, in ring talent, I, you know, I don't know if they had longer contracts or if they had like thirty day outs or you know who knows. Contracts are oh, the yeah. least fun aspect of law in the world. So, uh, was there anybody? Else? I know that you know they paid me to, to do nothing. Yeah, I mean, you can't beat that after working that hard for so long, like uh, you have, especially two jobs. I mean, yeah, yeah, it was a. Uh, that was uh boy that was a long time ago well you know did anybody was you in talks with anybody else did anybody else reach out to you as far as uh you know wanting you to do announcing or anything like that during that time before the wwe did no no was no there was well i did a little bit i i did some stuff in nashville for burt prentice for USA wrestling. Okay. Um, because Bert was a friend from years before and I like Bert a ton. And, you know, it was, you know, it was such, it was good new talent. And as it turned out that the talent that, that he was using in USA, um, ended up being a lot of the, the basis for TNA. I remember the first show that, um, 
that I worked the, or not the first show, the actually it may have been the last show that I worked. The, the, uh, the, it was kind of a showcase of his talent for the TNA group for Jerry Jarrett and Jeff Jarrett and all those people who were there, but sitting up out of sight just mm-hmm. to watch the talent. The main event was uh, Chris Harris and James storm against each other. Oh. Um, and they were incredible. Those guys are just amazing. And they saw something in them. And so they were there on the first, they were like, we can do something with those two, not, you know, as singles feuding, but as a tag team. And they turned into America's most wanted. So wow. that show and AJ was on that show, AJ styles. Oh yeah. Um, a lot, a lot of, a lot of talent that ended up getting picked up by TNA was on that USA show. Wow. And that would have been in, is that O2? Uh, I guess it'd have to be. Yeah. Cause TNA started in O2. Mm-hmm. This would have been in the first half of O2. This was the famous one where Cornette had words with, I think it was Ed Ferrara. Okay. Because he had, he had so much heat with Vince Russo and Ed, you know, I like Vince too. Ed, you know, Vince is a terrific guy to me. I love Vince to death. But of all things, to have heat with Ed Ferrara, you got to go. You got to go out of your way to find something about Ed Ferrara not to like. And just because he was, in Jimmy's mind, kind of inexorably tied to Vince, he you know just had words for Ed. And I'm sure Ed is like, "What did I do?" I, I think it was well, it was a lot because Ed had played that Oklahoma character oh, in God. WCW. Yes, the spoof of Jim. So, but yeah. It, it, yeah, it was a, it was a it was a little bit of that, but it was really more, you know, that he just really hated, and I and I guess still does hates Vince Russo. Mm. I don't understand. I, I like both those guys so much. I wish they could. I, actually, I'll put this out, Vince and Jimmy. If you guys just want to come down to the lake, you know, we'll cook out, we'll get it on the boat, we'll, you know, we'll settle it. We'll just get it all out in the open. So come on down. Love to do that. I think they should. No reason not to. No reason not to. And Uh, if nothing else, you get, you know, free booze and a boat ride. There you go. What the hell? Can't go wrong either way. (laughs) Everybody gets along when there's a little free booze involved after a while. True. That's a good point. But did uh, did Jim Ross reach out to you on the angle, the WCW angle? Um, Well, when the WWE bought out all of the contracts – Mm-hmm. or bought out WCW. They didn't buy the contracts. Um, they had meetings with all of the talent. And I'm using that word, believe me. I don't consider myself talent. But I'll, in their vernacular, I was. And they they had um, a suite at the Ritz-Carlton in Buckhead. I don't know if you've, you've been. Well, you're close. Yeah, outside Atlanta. of Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. At, at, at Lenox Square and Phipps Plaza, right in the heart of Buckhead, the real high-end district up in uh, the north side of, uh, of of Atlanta proper, there's a Ritz-Carlton there. And it's as frou-frou, and, you know, it's a really nice hotel. Highly recommend it. They rented a suite there, and for two or three days, Jim stayed there and met with talent, and they would call and schedule you a time to come meet with him because he was director of talent relations at the time. And so I went to meet with him at my appointed time, Walked in, hadn't seen him in a, in a long time. And I just walked in, man, it's good to see you. Hug. And I just said, look, I'm not interested. <laughs> I, no offense, but I'm not interested. And he goes, well, that's why we're doing this. I said, I appreciate 
you know, what you guys are, what you guys had to do and what's going on, but not me, not, not, not doing it. Can't do it anymore. And so I still had an hour. So then he and I just sat and talked for an hour about old mid South stuff, which was great. It was worth, worth every penny they would have paid me. I think the world of that guy. Then the other people came in behind me, you know, probably, you know, next behind me was disco. And I came in after Mike Sanders, whoever, I don't, I don't remember that, but yeah, it was just one parade of people coming in to meet with Jim um, as director of talent relations to see what, uh, what could happen, what they may have available. But I I put the kibosh on it right out of the box and said, Nope. So you really don't even know. Schedule I gave you uh, earlier, I wasn't doing that anymore. Yeah, I don't. I don't blame you. So you really don't know what the offer was going to be. No, no yeah. idea. How did the How did the one off? But I I do know that from talking to some of the other folks, and especially talking to Joey Styles, who I was got to be friends with there for a bit, um, it would have been probably less money than I was making in WCW. No, that's disappointing, man. Yeah, it was. They, 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 they don't pay. Um, I mean, they pay their in-ring talent. I don't know if they still do this downside guarantee stuff or whatever, but they pay them huge amounts of money. But and again, this was twenty some odd years ago, twenty three years ago, that they weren't paying their announced crew or their crew, their real crew, um, a whole lot there. Mm. And again, you're talking about having to live in New York City too. It's yeah, not like living, yeah, Marietta. Um, how did the one-off thing kind of come about with you? You had you and Arn doing the Booker and Buff. Uh, they, when when I had the meeting with Jim and told them that I wasn't interested, you know, then they were cool with it. That it was it's business, and they were completely professional. Mm-hmm. Got a call from Kevin Dunn. I said, we want to try something and we want you to be a part of it. We know you're not going to be full time, but we want to do a two week thing. And he laid out what they were going to do with the invasion. And um, I said, okay, that sounds great. So he said, terrific. We'll send you tickets to Tacoma. We'll do two nights in Tacoma, uh, a, a Raw and a SmackDown. And then we'll do two nights in Atlanta of all because they had the Atlanta was the week after that. Then we'll do two nights in Atlanta a raw and a SmackDown at the Georgia Dome. And so that's what we did. I did everything they asked me to do. And I did everything I wanted to do. I'll tell you that too. They were, but again, they were terribly nice. I mean, that, I mean, I know Kevin Dunn gets a lot of heat. Um, I don't even know if he's still around there anymore. Probably not. But, uh, you know, they were all complete pros. You know, Kevin, uh, Pat Patterson, um, only met Vince once just a handshake in the production meeting and that was it. But everybody else I had to deal with was just could not have been nicer. So there was never any Shane. Uh, Shane, yeah. So there was never any talks, you know, about anything long term, you know, at, at any time. Nope. In other words, never. Not with me. Yeah. Mm-mm. Why in the hell? I mean, no offense to him, but I just wasn't doing that anymore no i yeah i totally get it i mean you didn't know no you didn't know nobody nothing you've been doing this for yeah and plus i i I wanted to work you know 40 hours a week yeah sure yeah not 90 yeah 
I mean, you know, obviously, Atlanta is where this should have happened at. If they were trying to really, as y'all say, get this over at Ted Turner's backyard, WCW's backyard, home court, not mm-hmm. Washington. Uh, so to this day, it's it's like it's, it was just all made a mockery of, you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree fully. Had we had they done the invasion angle at the Georgia Dome, it would have. I mean, who knows if it would be if, if you've got Buff and Booker working a match that looked like it belonged on pro and not something that belonged as the main event on the you know, an invasion to launch an angle. I, there was so many things that went wrong with that. Um, but to do it in Seattle or Tacoma, rather which is not exactly WCW territory. No. I mean, it, it would be like anybody except the Eagles playing in Philadelphia. I mean, <laughs> yeah. they're they're going to hate you. Yeah. It doesn't matter who you can, you can be. You know, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, the, the greatest, you know, this week, according to ESPN, go into Philly, they're going to hate you. It doesn't matter how good you are or who you are. They hate you. We're going into their territory, ostensibly. They're going to hate us. It's not going to get over. A week before we go literally across the street from where WCW was headquartered, and then, again, they 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 screwed it up nine ways to Sunday. But, again, there is some school of thought that that was their goal the entire time, Sure, that they wanted to do everything they could to destroy the legacy of WCW and other than um, people like, well, people like Ray and uh, not Ray, but people like Eddie and Chris got there early and got over in spite of them being WCW people. But that was before the buyout post buyout. You know, you had Booker and Ray were the only ones really long-term that, stuck around you know you had the odd chuck and billy thing and then pages thing yeah. and then goldberg goldberg still doing you know but he he was gone forever yeah. so you you weren't you didn't get hardly any of the wcw guys that were allowed to make a difference right. and they were booked that way it wasn't because they weren't good they yeah. were just booked that way oh, another one is uh, shane helms mm-hmm. who just by sheer will and talent stuck around yeah. Um, but again, we're having to, you know, what eight, less than five that made it out of 60. Do you remember thinking when they were laying this out to you for the two weeks thing, why is this not going to all, why is this not going to like culminate in Atlanta here? Why are we not? Did that? Was... Yeah, I thought it, but you know, that's not, that's not my scene. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to tell Eric, you know, this NWO thing sounds cool, but it's a rip off of what uh, new Japan did. Right. I think you can do better. I'm not yeah. going to tell him that. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to tell Vince McMahon don't do it's your company and your millions of dollars, you know, no. So mm-hmm. I didn't, I'm not going to offer an opinion. Number one, it wouldn't be respected. And number yeah. two, I'm not, not that big a fan of my opinion. I, 
I figured he's making millions. I'm not. So I'll let, let him make the decision. Yeah. I'll just do what I'm told. I, I think you're right. I think it was just, you know, they wanted to humiliate it. And, and at the, you know, I was such a, I was such a hardcore WCW fan that in my mind, I'm like, okay, you won, you won. So why take the extra step just to, I mean, there's people that are, really fans of this company and the history, the tradition of this company, they could have really done something with that, but they made it a point it, not it, to. It goes, it goes back for me to 1987 when Dusty was booking uh, Jim Crockett promotions, when Vince had consolidated everything um, under the WWE, F banner and Jim Crockett saw that and said, the only, the only thing I can do is the same thing. So he went out and bought championship wrestling for Florida, bought central States and um, bought um, UWF mid South sports from cowboy. And when dusty was booking dusty's idea was destroy those territories and make them WCW people. So what Vince did with us was exactly the same playbook as what Dusty did um, with Florida, Central States, Mid-South uh, back in 1987. Killed them, destroyed yeah. them. We talked all, this goes all the way back to the beginning. We talked about the birds coming back. Mm -hmm. The birds come back. Birds never headlined another Omni show. Yeah. Because they were they were UWF talent. Mm -hmm. Terry Taylor and Chris Adams split up the tag team. You name it. Jim Duggan and Ted DiBiase left, went to the WWF. I mean, he just just blew up all those territories, the territories and the talent. That's the exact same thing Vince did, except it wasn't a territory. It was WCW. Yeah. They did the same thing with ECW, too. Yeah. Just follow suit. Yeah. Just keep following. Yeah. And some of those ECW guys stuck around. Rob Van Dam did, you know, and a couple of the other ECW folks, um, yeah. but not a whole lot. The yeah. Dudleys did. Yeah. Um, but again, that was an, an amazing roster. Didn't want them. Just wanted to destroy and bust up the, the company and destroy the legacy. But when you win, that's what you get to do. Right. You know, the winners write the history. And he won and we lost. And you're the only person that remembers I was ever in the wrestling business. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, I think some of the stuff that you and Bobby and, you know, you and Tanae later on did on Worldwide is, is gold. Oh, it's, it was fun. And you I'll could tell we were having a good time. You could. And I'll tell you, when when you did the one nine hundred nine oh nine hotline thing you you took some <laughs> you took some old uh uh sayings and and you know mannerisms or whatever you'd call it from what vince and them was doing at the time i, I i've yeah. wondered about that too I, st I stole pretty much everything from rocky uh, the rock yeah um and um i got just remember every one of those things when we were doing the the promo for the for the 900 number it was what's another catchphrase that Rocky uses because he used a million. So I, I had material for a year 
and not not knocking him he's incredible and um so that that was by design obviously yeah and i do remember that mike was at a hockey game in montreal i think um a canadians game obviously and i can't remember it wasn't with wcw but he was he was up there. Maybe he was up there for WC. He was up there for something, and he went to Canadians. And Mike today is humongous hockey fan. And you make this pilgrimage to Montreal, you got to go to a Habs game, and he did. So he's in like a suite, or not a suite, but a box. Um, and uh, in walks Rocky, who's you know they were in town or you know come passing through. And so he had heard Mike was in there. Some other WCW guys. And Mike told me the story. He goes, so Rocky walks in, never met him. Nice guy, big as all outdoors. And he just said, you're Mike Tanay. He goes, yeah, very nice to meet you. And he goes, tell Scott Hudson to quit stealing my material. (laughs) Then it's all worth it. (laughs) And laughed about it. (laughs) That's right. That made it all all worthwhile. (laughs) That's a great story right there. So that oh, that was that was how he introduced himself to Mike. And again, he was he was kidding around. Obviously, <laughs> I, I I could not be less of a threat. Um, uh, nobody ever gave you shit about doing those. No. Again, they're paying me the WCW equivalent of five bucks a month. We get away with murder. <laughs> yeah. Long as we're not violating any copyright, which brings to mind Lee Marshall. Oh um, when, when Conan was doing the, I think they were doing the filthy animals bit. Um, Conan had a finisher or a, I don't know if it was a finisher or a move. He called the tequila sunrise, mm-hmm. which is a drink, you know, that everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> um, t- uh, Lee is calling play by play on one of the shows when I had just started because Lee and I weren't together that long before he left, but he was doing play-by-play. I'd make it up. If I was doing pro, he was doing the Saturday morning show, whatever it was. So that happens, and the move goes through, and then Lee just on mic during the show, just after the movie, just goes, it's another tequila sunrise. Uh And just sing. Lee had that huge, booming voice that Lee had. And did it, and it aired, and they got a letter oh, I bet. from uh, the Eagles because the Eagles don't play. No, no they do not. They, don't. they are crazy. You, you talk about getting blocked on YouTube. Yep. They'll block you. They'll probably block you for me for, doing for that, that little piece. <laughs> uh, you have to bleep that out. Um, but yeah, they they sent a nasty letter, and I don't think anything ever happened. But you know, the word came down. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't sing Tequila Sunrise when Conan does the move. <laughs> I used to love the uh well, little stories like that, man. You don't you don't you don't hear those stories anymore. Yeah, I love them. I can't get enough of them, man. I really I used to love it. Me, the one eight hundred collect stuff, the little the little stabs oh. he would take it, Bobby <laughs> the weasel. Yes. I, I never I didn't know what the thing was with that, but I, it was it was great every week, you know. I, I, it, it was just something. I mean, I don't think there was any heat there because Lee was yeah. always in the next town. If we're doing yeah. Nitro in Tacoma, Lee's in Atlanta, yeah. you know, where we're doing it next week, and he's hosting the Nitro parties or whatever. And, yeah. you know, we're going to, you know, and then he'll come up with 
something that would always end with weasel. Yeah. <laughs> to, to take a rib at Bobby and then Bobby would come back on him. And, and it yeah. just, again, it was only to make you remember, you know, cause he would do that. And then he would go for what it had to collect. I'm Lee Marshall. And you remembered that it was one 800 collect. Yeah. Um, because he, he just knew what he was doing and it, it made you remember the sponsor. And if you take the piss out of Bobby to help the sponsor get noticed, then all the better. Man, can you imagine all of the free publicity that Valvoline is getting from the network? Oh, boy. Is that not amazing? Nobody <laughs> yeah. thinks about that. <laughs> yeah. I don't I, I, I don't work on my own car, so I don't know. But is Valvoline still around? Yeah. If they are, they are, they're loving life. I mean, I don't know how many people watch the network. Um, I mean, far less than would watch a network like NBC. Yeah. But yeah. again, you're not paying for it. You're right. just going to Valvoline instant replay of the week or whatever, you know, good for them. And the bumpers and everything, the, you know, the bumpers before, uh, uh, the guy who was the guy that did those voiceovers, the really good broadcast voice that would do those bumpers and do the commercials. Oh, for, I can't remember. Oh man, I remember the voice, but I, I he was he was just he was a a voice for hire, but he was outstanding. Yeah, but I, I mean, he's doing WCW, then he's you know doing movie trailers, swamp people, and, and yeah. He, yeah, he's doing everything else in town. He's just like Krusty the Clown. Yeah. Well, you know, when you ended worldwide, going back to that before I forget, um, right? Did you know was that tape before uh, y'all found out what was going to be happening? Worldwide, we did on Wednesday afternoons um, after work when I went through that litany earlier. Okay, so Nitro ended on that Monday night. We would have recorded the worldwide that aired the following weekend the previous wednesday okay so 10 days out and that that wednesday we didn't know we found out the next day what was going to happen so we recorded two uh outros and one of them was just you know we'll see you next week you know like normal yeah and then the other one was the one that aired where i said you know we'll see you down the road or whatever yeah. I mean, you actually got to say yeah, goodbye. Did. You did. Yeah. We were the only ones. Mike and I were the only ones that, uh, was it, it was Mike, wasn't it? It was Mike. Yeah. Was it me and Mike that did that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We were the only ones that got to even have anything close. And that was the last, the last WCW broadcast. I think there was a couple of, uh, international syndicated shows but those would have been done a couple of weeks out. We wouldn't, and we wouldn't have done two outros. It was only voiceover. Yeah. So we didn't, we wouldn't have said anything, but that would have aired anywhere except the United States. So when that aired, actually, it, the, it had already been done, obviously, when it aired um, on TBS. Right. But who produced yeah. that? Because the ending on that, when they're showing, when they're rolling the credits, is interesting. Because they're tearing, they're showing tearing the set down, and got all these all these uh, nicknames for all the crew. So I'm wondering whose idea that was. Right. Oh gosh. You know, hell, it could, it could have been Neil Pruitt. 
Uh, it, it, God, there was so many great producers. Woody Kearse was there. Chris Larson. Um, boy, I'm going to now to start trying to name people. I'm going to, I'm going to leave somebody out. Um, boy, I can't even, I can't even remember them all. It's been 20 something years, but, yeah. uh, every producer there, uh, knew what they were doing. They're an incredibly talented bunch of folks. And so I'm, I'm not surprised that that got shoved in again. It's not nothing inappropriate. No, a, lot of, no. a lot like, uh, like, uh, the Holy grail. You know, they talk about llamas and somebody getting sacked and all that. It's that that same kind of vibe that it's the last one. What are they going to do? Fire us? Mm -hmm. We don't work here anymore. Off off you go. Have you saw that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. That one's kind of hard to watch. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's just me and, you know, me and Mike sitting in the studio. It's not, you know, some kind of morose thing, but. It just does remind me of, you know, the end. I just yeah. wish, I wish we could have kept going. I really wish, wish we could have. I mean, I, I know you really mean that too, because so many people were so, I was so glad it was just a shithole. You know, it got into, it was, it was bad by the end. And, you know, I was so glad to see the doors closed on it, but uh, I, I'm, I feel like you do. <laughs> you were right there in it, but I feel like you do. I wish it could have kept going. You know, well, people that said that, you know, they're entitled to their opinion. That's cool. But the people that said what you said about the product, then not all, because there's never an everybody or anything like that. But I dare say the vast majority of those people would give anything to have wrestling like that again. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe a whole lot less, you know, the fat chick thriller, Mike Awesome. <laughs> yeah, God rest his soul. He didn't, care, he didn't care for that either. But, um, but people would would love to have have that back. Yeah, because there was always something else to watch. You never knew on Nitro what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nitro fed every other show, and then you know Nitro fed a little bit to Thunder, but Nitro and Thunder fed every other show, and you, you just never knew. You know, on Saturday night, you know, Barry Darso comes out dressed up like Payne Stewart and playing golf in the middle of the ring. <laughs> what the hell is that? Chris Adams comes out and loses every week uh, to to job guys. Yeah. And it was going to end up that he became this maniac and, and became this ultimate Saturday night heel. You know, there's so much stuff that you just didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and then, then it was gone. Yeah. It's, it's sad. It's still sad, you know. You, I mean, thank you. I mean, I'm sure it is for you. You were right there in it. You were a part of it. You were the guy that got to say goodbye for on behalf of the company. You yeah. know, that's a that's a big yeah. thing. That's a big piece of history uh, that's always going to be there. And I, I'm glad that you at least had the opportunity to do that because Tony didn't. And, and Tony says he don't care, but I I can't help but be like, man, come on, you got to care a little bit, you know. I don't know. I'm I'm sure he does, um, but Tony is is, and I'm not going to put words in his mouth. But Tony is very much um, a professional. Sure, you know, with Tony, it was I worked there. There is no more there. There, yeah. Now yeah. I work here, yeah. and I'm going to do the best job I can for them. And yeah. that's that's fine. That's a kind of 
employee I would yeah. want to have. That's the kind of boss I would want to have. Um, but there's a part of me we talked about earlier. Part of me is still the this dense Mizu Fizark out there that just wants to, you know, be back in, you know, with my granddad in 1970 again. And no, that's obviously never going to happen, but that's what I wish. I wish I could go find, I wish I could go find that again. Yeah, me too. I think a lot of people do. I really do. Um, you still watch any, you watch anything now? Watch AEW? Uh, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll catch AEW, uh, pretty much every week. Um, I'll watch raw, but what I'll, I'll usually read the, the recaps to see if there's anything I really want to see yeah. on there. Um, it's, it's certainly gotten a lot better since Hunter is, is running the show. I mean, and it's, it's night and day. It's so much better. Um, impact. I like a great deal. They, they've, they're, they're kind of like the undiscovered country out there. They're what some of the stuff they're doing. Hell, all the stuff they're doing is incredible. Um, so yeah, I'll, 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 I'll in, in order, I would catch AEW impact and raw. Um, you know, and if they, you know, the uh, Russell kingdom's coming up, you know, in a week or so, I'll watch that from new Japan. That'll be fun. That's always oh, a yeah. good show. Yeah. New Japan. That's like a whole different thing there. I enjoy new Japan. I do. Yeah. I do enjoy watching that. Well, have you, have you ever run across any musical people or anything like that in this whole wrestling journey? Oh yeah. We got, uh, you know, Eric was big into, into that cross promotional stuff. We had, uh, you know, the kiss demon Mm -hmm. character come in, which God love Brian Adams. Who was the first one. Nobody remembers that he was the first kiss demon for one night in Vegas at the MGM grand. And then it was Dale Torborg. Who's also great. and did a terrific job with the character, but we got to hang out with kiss. I'm a huge kiss mark. So is Shivani, by the way. Yeah. We were both just, you know, try to out, um, trivia <laughs> each other on kiss stuff um but so hanging out with them was amazing uh again really nice guys uh, i remember we were with uh, gene simmons was in town and we all got together at the wcw place out on log cabin and that was where the power plant was so we were walking through the power plant and gene's like a i'm six one and gene's taller than me so he's got to be like six three he's a big yeah. fella um, and we're walking through there and he goes, so tell me when is the kiss demon going to win a match on nitro? And I said, you're talking to the wrong guy, Gene. I'm, <laughs> I'm just in sales. And he, I remember he popped making Gene Simmons pop was pretty, pretty cool. And we did a thing with, uh, with, uh, mega death yeah. where they played, uh, the Georgia dome. When we did one of those Georgia dome shows, when Goldberg was, running hotter than hell uh, to bring another kiss reference in. I think about that. Um, but Megadeth played, I got to meet Dave Mustaine and, and the rest of the guys in the band. Again, just the one thing I remember about them, they're all very, very tiny people. I mean, <laughs> you know, you don't really get an idea. Uh, and I don't mean like in the, in character. I mean, they're, they're just so they're like 170 pounds and yeah. five, nine. And you just want to like, do you need somebody to walk with you just in case? <laughs> I mean, somebody's going to beat you up. But they were just so nice and so talented. Um, trying to think of who else we dealt with. We would have musicians backstage, you know, 
a lot when we would show up in cities. I met Bruce Springsteen, I think, out in uh, in Denver. Uh, met uh, Donny Osmond when we were in Salt Lake. Talk about and another tiny guy. Both yeah. of those guys, little, 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 little fellows. Not uh, not to belittle them, to coin a phrase, but just <laughs> they just come across as so much bigger than life. Yeah, you know, you go see Springsteen do one of those three and a half hour mega shows, and he closes it out with you know, Tenth Avenue freeze out and then Born to Run, and he's like, oh my god, this guy's the greatest thing, and then you meet him and he's like five <laughs> nine and a half. <laughs> yeah, just a really soft spoken, pleasant fellow, and it was like your accountant. You know, uh, yeah. Um, so we we got you know seeing seeing guys backstage and then doing the you know with Megadeth and with Kiss and we did the thing with Master P that really didn't go well. Um, but you know, you roll your dice, you take your chances. I don't think we did anything else. Any the, any you remember? I think that's all. That's all that I that, that are jumping out at me. I don't know if it was ever on air, but I know that Billy Gibbons would come around some backstage. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was. You know, when we would make a run through Texas, he would. He was one of those backstage guys. Yeah. You know, I don't. I don't think they ever played. Um, but yeah, he's a big, big fan. Would show up. I mean, it ended up being that he was sort of ubiquitous. You know, we're playing Dallas. Well, Billy Gibbons will be there. We're playing Austin. Billy Gibbons will be there. Yeah. Um, I tell you, somebody else was Bob Hold from uh, Husker Du and Sugar, 90s alternative band. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob ended up as a big wrestling fan and ended up being on the booking committee, believe it or not. Really? Nobody, nobody remembers that, but Bob Moore was part of the booking committee in WCW. Wow. Again, just a creative as hell guy. So when that happened, I'm like a huge Bob Moore fan. So <laughs> I'm like, you're kidding me. Bob, Bob Mould is on the booking committee? Yeah, he is, and... You know, so we got to meet him, hang out. That was fun. Well, what a life, man. What a life. That was fun. It was fun. Uh, really I'm can't... staring at uh, retirement coming up here in a couple of months. And man. at 58 years old, uh, you know, I keep thinking like, God, what, what's the next 20 years? If I've got them left, what's that? What's that, what's that got in store? Because the last 20, the last 40 have been nuts. Well, you sure deserve retirement and uh, just get kind of take it easy and just, or take it as easy, as easy as you want to, you know, that kind of thing. I'll probably um, just, I'll probably finally buy Peacock just so I can watch the network and watch I, old stuff. I think they have a promo going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> like a Good. discount. So you can hop on that. Sign up today. Well, Scott, I appreciate your time. Good talking with you. Uh, you too, Andrew. Thank you. Really, really enjoyed this conversation. Me and, too. Uh, appreciate y'all tuning in to Picking It Out, and we'll see you next time.